and we're live. Donald, back in the day when I was a kid, if you wanted to fly anywhere, you had to get in touch with a company who liaised with the airline company, and there was this whole big rigmarole. But these days, you know, you pull out your phone, you pull up the app, and you book your flight on the way to the airport. What the fuck changed between then and now? Like, oh, where do you start? Like, it's just. But it's modern life, isn't it? Like, it's just everything's at your fingertip. Like, so, yeah, it's just, it's so simple. With one, put your phone out your pocket, two or three clicks, and when you're wearing holidays, it's grand. <laughs> and again, it's, it's probably not your thing, but the price of flights has obviously plummeted. Yeah. Yeah. And from your perspective, do you know what has been the main drivers between that? Is it like, is it fuel? Is it availability of aircraft, or is it consumer demand, or, or again, probably not your area? It wouldn't even. be my area of expertise, but I know like Ryanair's done a massive push. I think on that, like they, you know, came out with the low cost model, and they were like not the first to do it, but the first to really kind of really kind of push it not push it but you know what I mean really be good at it and make it a sustainable model and kind of generate consistent business and like I don't know like you're the same as me you start travelling maybe late teens early 20s and you could book a flight to Liverpool for a tenner like yeah. do you know like yeah, there's, yeah. there's aunties of mine live in London and they used to fly home it was like a month's wages you know to fly home for a weekend like but that Reiner kind of pushed that and it's still kind of are and like it's changed it's probably got a bit more expensive you're not picking up as many deals as you used to be but uh, that's been a massive push like and or the or the competition have had to kind of come and match that and like there's a lot of low carrier low cost carriers out there now that are driving that you know and putting competition on routes which I suppose is another thing like because you go back 20 30 years like you got on and off we live on an island like so it was a ferry or a flight, but the flight was probably Aer Lingus, where you're nearly your only option out of Dublin, like at, at one time. Like, yeah, they kind of had a monopoly on it. It was a, a rich person's thing nearly to fly. Oh, yeah, well, sure. Like, going back to the original travel, it was you know, armchairs and cuisine and you know, all this kind of stuff. Oh, of course, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, you got on a plane yeah. and you were treated like fucking royalty, absolutely. Like. like, well, sure, they were probably royalty, really, yeah, when yeah. you think of it. They were the only ones that could afford to do it, like. I went to, there's a small air museum in Fines and not long after I was down in Shannon myself and Naomi went out, like had a quick look around, but like it was literally an armchair, like, yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? And like, there's no seatbelts, none of this kind of crack, like it's just... Smoke away. Smoke away, absolutely. Like it was almost like kind of what you'd imagine a train uh, seats are like, table in the middle seats facing opposite each no other. No way, like, of course. You, know, yeah, you don't yeah. get that kind of leg room now on some <laughs> flights. Like, um, So yeah, it's big change Like, and it's all efficiencies and um, you know, watching the cost of everything and if you can turn around an aircraft in a half an hour and it's in the air again, it's making more money. Like, So you know, all this red carpet arrival and that kind of stuff, that's all That's all thing of the past now. Like, It's just pure efficiency and... Um, trying to maximise what you can out of it like yeah yeah I'm a big fan of um, of what it's called I think the, the the lean method of manufacturing it started over in Japan I think after World War 2 but Ryanair have adopted it and it's it's a, it's in essence eliminating waste and by waste I mean, you know, the time it takes from the, the people to get onto the plane the time it takes to get the bags on and off the plane and just driving efficiency relentlessly basically yeah, yeah. and that's where you end up 
getting, you know, an over and back flight to Amsterdam in the same day for 15 or 20 quid or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's it's something we can see, like, and like I would rate them very well. Um, I obviously work quite closely with them. Not closely, but we work, you work together a lot, even though neither of you are really aware of it with the distance, obviously, between one end of a microphone to the other. But uh, it's something I would notice they they would file so they would kind of put a plan in place for a flight and the pilot would stick pretty much religiously to it so they would generate some sort of model on that and say this is the most efficient way to fly this route and the pilots would do their best to get exactly that like so if you see a Ryanair and they've filed for a flight level when the pilot comes on frequency you ask them your requested flight level or the airlines you could get a different request so they might have filed for 36 and they might say 34 38 or 32 but if a Ryanair files for 38 he wants 38 and if he doesn't get 38 he'd probably come back and ask you again like is 380 available or we can take anything up to 380 so they want to get into that efficient kind of envelope of flight they call it like so 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 envelope of flight yes they call it like a performance envelope so as they get closer to their kind of maximum performance efficiencies they're kind of uh what's the right way of phrasing this they kind of get closer to the envelope where they're not actually um sustaining lift so they want to get as close to that but safe like so you know they might be able to manage another thousand feet higher but it wouldn't be safe so they they want to that envelope performance kind of narrows as they go up so it's getting harder to control the flight like obviously safe at all times but um they want to get up as efficient as possible so the higher they can go it makes them as efficient as possible so, you, so when you sorry to cut across you when you say efficient as possible you mean on fuel is it or, yeah yeah so they, f- they essentially want to glide onto the runway is it or no it's it's more like in their on route phase of flight so if they filed for we'll say 36 and they only got to 34 they would probably be born burning more fuel at the lower level and the closer they get to that sort of optimum level the more efficient they get like Right, so if, and you will see it as well. Like, so they get airborne, and they might stay at thirty six. The thirty six being thousand feet. Uh, yeah. Okay. We call it thirty six. So flight level three six zero. So thirty six thousand feet. Okay. Um, and after a certain amount of time, they will like obviously burn off fuel in the flight naturally, but they will then be lighter and able to go higher and be able to sustain that higher level, and they will want to go up then to kind of again get more efficient because they've got up under the thousand feet like and as a rule of thumb the higher you are the less it costs to propel you yourself or how the exact math it's the air gets thinner the the, uh, drag is less because the air is thinner and it just cycles on jet engines perform uh, more efficiently at higher altitudes and that's it if they can perform more efficiently they burn less fuel less drag you're probably going faster and that just leads into a kind of vicious cycle of less fuel burnt more efficient faster which is everything you're trying to get out of an airline or a plane at the minute like it's it's all a lot of the um developments are kind of trying to push that technology to make it more efficient make it cheaper drive down prices make, make it safer as well as a big part of it but uh um the airline are looking at a bottom line really like they're they're that's what's driving there to try and make their business model work like yeah of course you just have me thinking like as part of your training do you need to know anything about 
airplanes themselves or yeah. is it all in yeah. relation to kind of guiding them? Uh, like 90% of your training, probably more, is in relation to your procedures, your um, air law, all that kind of stuff, then the actual skills of doing it. But you would need to understand the basics of trust, lift, you know, all that kind of stuff that you, you're not a complete and utter idiot when they, <laughs> when they you know, say, I can't really do that. And you're like, oh, right, okay. You know, so you, you kind of have to have the basics to understand that there are certain things you can ask them to do and then there's just sort of stuff you just can't ask them to do. Like So um, you would have a basic understanding, but it wouldn't take up a massive part of an air traffic controller's training. Like Yeah, yeah. And you said it yourself there, procedure. Procedure is presumably everything. Massive, yeah. Oh, like, it's huge. Because like, it's such a safety-conscious environment Like and everything, everything, everything comes back. Like It's the number one rule of safety. Um safety expedition and efficiency and in that order is kind of the the golden rule of air, air traffic control so make it safe try and make it efficient and then you make it quick as possible or like expeditious as possible then after that like so and is there ever time is there is is there such thing of outside of procedure or is there a procedure for literally every conceivable event? Or do they, I suppose, they strive to have that, do they? Or? Um, as most, as, as, in as much as possible, like, but you can't procedure for everything. Like, you have to, we're employed to be air traffic controllers. You need to kind of let us make decisions because you, you can't write down a black and white if X happens and you do Y because there's just an infinite amount of X and there's constantly stuff turning up and um, <clears throat> you just have to be able to, once you kind of discuss, so like if I'm in one sector or one centre and you're in another one, once we lift the phone and discuss what we're doing and we both understand what's going on, then like most things you do are fine. Like there's certain no-nos in certain areas you would be told that it wouldn't be safe to do stuff and you would have to advise a pilot um, if for a certain reason in front of him there might be CBs, so cumulonimbus clouds, thunderstorm. He's not going to fly through that. But if you tell him off to his right-hand side there's a danger area active, he's not going to want to fly through that either. Like, And I couldn't tell him to fly through either, but he's in the air and he has to go somewhere so then he needs to start making a decision what's his best option and stuff so it's it's you wouldn't ever kind of put somebody in danger um, but you would try and keep them like aware of what's going on around them so they might need to make a decision but like uh, number one like everything is kind of safe and um, you would try and not have them boxed into a corner where there was only two options and it was one of them you would try and have something else to kind of help them out or get them out of that situation like yeah of course you said there I think you'd be talking to the other centres is that what you said yeah yeah That's so it's other it's, airports or uh, not really so much airports so like it's 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 complicated and it's beautifully simple in the same way <laughs> um, and like I could spend probably two hours trying to describe how it all works like but um, well, give me the, the the child's version, basically. Do you know the kind of way, like, is if if there's such a thing? Well, I suppose the simplest way, like, so there'd be so an aircraft wants to fly to London. So okay. on the ground, they would file a flight plan. So they so would, let's say, just leaving Dublin, say. Yeah, leaving Dublin, they want to fly. So they would put down in black and white and send it off to there's a central uh, 
Eurocontrol in Brussels file or receive all the flight plans and then turn them out to everybody who would for, need them. Sorry, for Europe? For Europe, yeah. So there's a like a, a, a Brussels in political speak for air traffic controllers. It's actually in Brussels, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, so like, I'm, like to bring it back to layman's arms, tomorrow I want to go from Navin to Dublin. Okay. So I need to let Brussels know that's what I want to do and this is, I want to go by Dunshockland en route. So you send off that plan and they send it to people in Navin, the people in Dunshockland and the people in Dublin so everybody knows who's coming. So they would do that. So they'd send a copy of that to Dublin to Shannon Air Traffic Control if they needed them and to on to London and they would notify all the different sectors we call them en route. So then tomorrow they have a plan that says Frano wants to get airborne in Dublin and land in London and he's going to fly along this route and everybody along the way has the plan. So then you turn up at the airport and you get an a clearance on a route from a ground controller and they will tell you, right, okay, so start off, taxi out to the runway, and then a runway controller will clear you for takeoff, and you need to follow this portion of the route. And then basically between there and London, various forms of area control will take over, and they will tell you you can keep climbing up to this height, contact the next sector, and their air traffic controller will take over, keep climbing up, and turn left or right if there's anything in your way, and so on and so forth until you get to... London and an approach controller will basically position you kind of 10 to 12 miles from the airport pointing straight at it and give you a descent into into London and you will then talk to a ground controller in London who'll clear you to land and another ground controller in London who'll tell you to park at such and such a gate and it all works seamlessly. Right so there's a ground controller an approach controller did you say? Yeah. And I, I would have thought that you were an, an air traffic controller or is that yeah we're all air traffic one? controllers really okay. so okay. it's it's a bit kind of like a driver's license everybody has a driver's license but some people can drive a bus some people can drive a car some people can drive a truck and you will get different training or slightly different training depending on where you're working now in, in some instances like a like a ground controller and an area controller it's like polar opposites they're completely and utterly 110% different. Okay, so where do you fit into the whole air controller? So, kind of complicated enough, I am qualified as a Shannon area en route controller. So, I, up until the middle of last week, I worked down in Shannon in a small, well, a reasonably sized industrial building in Shannon Industrial Estate and there would be about 150 controllers working there and we would work airspace covering most of the area of Ireland and then probably about three times the area of Ireland off the west coast to give you an idea of the volume like okay and they would work from about 5,000 feet up to unlimited right anything crossing between Europe and America Ireland and America UK and America would talk to us and anything transiting kind of from Scottish down towards the Canary Islands they would all talk to us and we would look after them in what's called area control. So in their en route phase of flight, it's called, but kind of above their cruising stage of flight, they call it. So cruising at 30, 30 odd thousand feet and they would talk to us. And at that height, does that put them above and beyond most things coming in and out of Ireland or? Yeah, so um, stuff landing into Dublin will kind of hit the coast quite low. Um 
anything landing into Dublin, depending on what runway they're using at the time, would cross the coast maybe about 15,000, 16,000 feet or maybe down lower. Um, there's a runway that comes straight in, their approach is straight in across the coast. They cross the coast that maybe two or 3,000 feet maybe. Right, Jesus. Yeah, so a lot of the descent phase is done over the IRC and actually in British airspace. So they need to be quite low if they're coming kind of straight in for uh, runway 28 in Dublin. And are you ever speaking to British air traffic controller or is it always just using the pilots? Uh, you know, you would liaise with... So in Shannon, I would liaise with uh, UK air traffic control, Dublin air traffic control, uh, Scottish... Uh, French air traffic controllers and then to the west we deal with what's called Shamwick control it's a radio control environment to kind of put more confusion into the situation <laughs> and what, what is that like? Uh, so like radars are based on land and have a range of about 250 miles so obviously if you go outside of radar range you're not in radar coverage so they then go to what's called procedural control so they will put them a thousand feet apart vertically so kind of stack one at flight level three one zero thirty one thousand feet another one a thousand feet above and another one a thousand feet above and they will establish them on tracks across the north atlantic and then they will put a time separation between them so if there's two at the same level they will maintain 10 minutes apart Okay, just and to keep the distance from each other. Basically. Yeah, and they will basically report at every was it five or ten degrees, so they'll report at fifteen west and twenty west and twenty. Uh, sorry, fifteen west, twenty west, thirty, forty, fifty west. And, and that's degrees of is it longitude or latitude? Latitude. Latitude. I always get those two mixed up. I know. Up. I always struggle with them as well. And I think <laughs> hey, I, I have an excuse. <laughs> and I think I got it right as well. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so they basically have reporting points and they'll just basically give a time estimate to say I'm, I'm crossing the 20 west line at this time. And then based on that, they will make sure that the next fella has 10 minutes. Okay, because obviously there isn't radar stations dotted all across exactly, the Atlantic. yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because there's, there's nowhere to put them, like they can't, yeah. And can you, So you can't see them or can they be seen? Can anything see them? Uh, well, technology is moving on now that there is um, various types of transmitters and receivers that could be broadcast over like uh, HF frequency so high frequency and there's obviously then satellite technology is starting to come on but it's it's expensive as far as I know for the airlines to then pay to have it installed on their aircraft and then the accuracy hasn't been tested because it hasn't been around long enough and all this kind of stuff because obviously it's not just a GPS signal to track you're going for a run they're, they're trying to provide a separation between aircraft do you know what I mean so um, and even like I'm sure you've, you're keen on the bike and bits and pieces do you yeah, know yeah. Your, your watch and whatever else you're using to track your GPS they're not cheap on yeah. the ground but yeah. they're not making sure you don't bump into other people or do you know they're not safety critical the information they're providing like um, and I think that's kind of like I'd imagine that's where it's going to go over the next few years that there will be satellite coverage over the whole globe yeah because again like forgive my ignorance but maybe I've been watching too many movies I thought that there'd be you know a little round screen with that with like an hour or a minute hand on the clock going round and it'd go boop <laughs> and it'd <laughs> yeah. pick up all used the planes in the world kind used of thing, to be you know? yeah yeah it used to be but uh, it's moved on a lot from that like um, when I was training yeah some of the people the, some of the lads that were training me 
had worked in that kind of environment um they're kind of retired now but they remember working that kind of a system but no now it's it's mad it's just a computer screen and information is fed into it and it's all processed um so like there's there was a stage where you just got a dot and that was the plane but now like um like we'll get information processed to us so like it'll indicate their call sign so each aircraft is tagged with a call sign so you can differentiate each one and they know they're responding when you're talking to them um so unique code the it will show their current flight level it will have or the information that i might input into the label so whatever level i've climbed them up to that will be shown so i i know from my own information that i've cleared them to that level and that's what they're climbing to It'll give ground speed, it'll give destination. Um, what else? If they have an oceanic, so if they were going to the States, they would have a specific level to be at to comply. So the people providing separation over the ocean knew they were going to come at a certain level uh, and at a certain time. So they would have sort of time restrictions and that would all be presented in a label as well. Like, and, like it, it's phenomenal. Like it's There's so much going on behind the scenes. It's unbelievably complicated but at the same time when it works well it's just completely seamless and you know me sitting in i don't think about all these things going on i just keep well, them it's, all it's, safe it's and kind of decompartmentalized isn't it like you have the thing that you it, look yeah. after yeah and yeah. so does another hundred thousand people and yeah somehow it all kind of works i know somehow it all works and it all works seamlessly even in, uh, on a good day like but yeah like um and you do you just look after your own little bit and pass it on like it's a massive team effort and it's one thing that's really pushed in air traffic control that the fact that it is such a team effort like so even behind us so there's uh i think in shannon there's about 140 odd 150 controllers but i have a funny feeling there's a support staff of a similar number between engineering admin you know and that's a payroll accounts even all well, that even act, all that kind of stuff yeah yeah there's further like there's a HR division in Dublin which has a whole management kind of level and stuff also oh, just specifically with support to you guys is about one well, on one not specifically to us but yeah there would be a support staff in Shannon of I think about 150 staff a funny feeling it's something in that kind of figure like but there's training going on in the background um, systems development like so there's a new Oh, earlier on this year, we got a new comm system. So there's somebody constantly working on that in the background and then developing a training plan to teach me how to use it and somebody else is refining it to make sure it works properly and it does what it's supposed to do and testing and developing procedures and, you know, if it's different and this doesn't work and now we need a new procedure to make sure that everybody understands and they're, they're working with the system the same way. So there's a kind of a uniformity in, in what everybody's doing. So... There doesn't need to be a big, long-winded conversation about what's going on. Everybody understands there's a certain way to operate, and it it kind of seamlessly flows. Like, yeah, yeah, no, cool. And is it? Do you look after? Is it just passenger planes, or is it just commercial, or is the, is it subdivided like that, or what way does it work? Uh, everybody and anybody really like so. Our, like our biggest customers would be airlines. So as far as I know, in Shannon. Um, Ryanair probably one of the biggest customers if not the biggest like they're I think they're there thereabouts I'm not sure if it changed recently but they were the biggest airline in Europe kind of aircraft wise flights wise like it's it's phenomenal like and you know you kind of get used to it's funny like um, we see lots of aircraft flying so the Lufthansa's fly in and out of Germany um, 
British Airways fly in and out of the UK, Aer Lingus fly in and out of Ireland, Ryanair fly everywhere. Right, they, yeah. they, Do you know, they will fly in and out of Ireland, in and out of the UK, in and out of Scotland. It doesn't matter to them. They will just, if there's business, they will go and set up a route and like, what about it? It's just fine. Do you know, whereas a lot of the other carriers, I suppose the way it started off, they were probably owned by... You know, they were government funded and that kind of st- when they all started off, they were of course, subsidized. The day, and yeah. uh, it just trends continue and then they don't, you know, branch out or whatever. But um, yeah, it's mad, you know. So and uh, they're probably one of our biggest customers. But you do see everything like from kind of small biz jets or private uh, aircraft, you know, small, maybe 10, 15 seater aircraft that. I don't know who owns it, but you know, it's it's my private plane that brings me to the Caribbean from a few days off and stuff like that. Like you do see that side of life. Um, don't know any of them now, but uh, <laughs> you, you, yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, you do see that kind of stuff. Um, anything then down to your small private um, Cessnas going for a kind of weekend flight. You know, you're it's kind it's, of hot, like. Your hobby the equivalent of someone with a yacht, or not even a yacht, but a a boat a on the pleasure harbor. boat, yeah, that kind is, of thing. Is, is it? Are they equivalent there thereabouts? I have no idea. Costways, you mean? Like, but no, but just um, it's just a pleasure hobby planes. Like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. No, there's no business. It's just they like to fly, and that's how they spend their weekends. Some people get out on a bike, or some people play golf, and and so here's one for you. If I have a plane and a little runway or whatever, and I want to fly around my area or fly to another airstrip somewhere do I have to contact you guys or what way no, does that so work no so like it's um, again kind of quite simple and quite complicated there's different classifications of airspace so up to about 5,000 feet in Ireland if you wanted to get airborne out of the field behind the house go for it and it's called VFR so visual flight rules and the onus is on you to be looking out the window and separate yourself from and, and not bump into another plane <laughs> not bump into somebody else from Nav and doing the same thing like yeah yeah um, so you can yeah like there's an airfield over in trim and it would just be that turn up on a Sunday morning I want to go for a flight and off you go like yeah, um, there's literally one just down a couple of fields down here yeah for there's one yeah just off the road down here I did know the designator for it but I couldn't tell you what it is now at the minute but yeah whoever flies in and out of there could rock up uh, tomorrow morning as long as it's daylight visual flight rules they can see where they're going and they can see people around them off you go uh, there would be restrictions they'd have to be on the ground Not it's not my area of expertise but I think it's about half an hour before dusk okay just for visibility for visibility yeah they wouldn't have so like your um your commercial jets would all have instrument flight rules. So in the dark, they can fly point to point on a navigation system. Yeah. And they would all be trained to use that. Whereas your local hobby guy is just looks out the window and sees where he's going. And like that, if he not sure where he's going, then he might radio into Shannon or Dublin and kind of ask for a pointer in the right direction as to how to get home. But it's just, it's old school navigation following rivers Railway tracks, the coast, anything you can. Yeah, motorways to kind of, or whatever. Motorways, probably a great one now, yeah, that wouldn't have been there you know, a few years ago in the country. But yeah, find the M3 and then you'd find Navin. And I know I take this road out of the town and sure, there it is. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. It's mad you were saying there that uh, the, the, pli- the, you know, the, the kind of commercial pilots, they will be flying via instrumentation a lot. Is it all instrumentation? Like, do they need a windscreen? 
Do you reckon where? Yeah, they... there is like, and there's been a few. Um, what did I call them? Accident investigation. Um, the outcomes. It's one good thing. Not obviously when it's um, a major incident, but the one thing in our industry, if anything goes wrong, there's an investigation and why did that happen? And of course, basically yeah. looking into can we change something, a procedure, a piece of technology. Is there a fault in something we're doing to make it better and make it safer? Um, but yeah, there has been accidents where something has happened in the cockpit and both pilots get distracted and they're, we call it heads down. So they're basically looking at their documentation, their instrumentation, and they're not actually looking out the window. And the danger is out the window. Like, it could be avoided if... And I think I'm not a pilot, but I'm aware that... There is a change where there's constantly now one pilot is heads up. So one pilot is okay. actually looking out the window to see what's in front of them because you can become reliant. Like, do you know, no more. I don't know if you have a sat nav, but. Yeah, oh no, yeah, you, you get a bit lost in that fucking oh, thing. Oh, stop. You just switch off and kind of you're there and you're kind of like, what way did I actually. Do you know, or if you try to drive it the next time, you're like, I don't really know here and put the sat nav back on because I don't actually know where I was going because you just. You do yourself sometimes go into that autopilot when you're driving the car, listening to the radio, chatting to the missus, whatever, do you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's a big thing that, yeah, all the instrumentation is there, but not to be over-reliant on it, like, and, and to check everything and double-check everything and question lots of things. Like, that's a big thing in our industry is checking and double-checking. So if I've given an, an instruction to um, a pilot to climb, and I'd say climb flight level 210, and I don't hear anything back, I have to go back in and ask him to read it back to me. And that's my way of knowing, one, he heard that I told him to do something, and two, he read back that he's going to do what I told him to do. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, you know, you take down a phone number and you get a digit wrong, but that reading back of the phone number eliminates that because now I know, yeah. And, I, and I've said the right thing as well. You know, it's a check on myself, so... You throw out a phone number and then go, oh, no, that's actually not my number. Do you know what I mean? So you can have a slip of the tongue and make a mistake, but that's a, a cross-check on that from, from both sides. Um, but that's that's quite a big thing with us to double-check everything and, and make sure everybody's on the same page. Like Yeah, yeah. And coming from Shannon to Dublin, obviously a, a big a big jump. Or, yeah, or, or is different. it? Yeah. Uh, it is and it isn't. Uh, it's kind of funny, like I've been checked out about five years in Shannon. So you're quite comfortable, you know your procedures, you know how things work, you know everybody you work with. Whereas now I'm kind of, it's like going from, uh thinking about this the other day, it's like going from primary school into secondary school. Do you know, you were, you knew everybody, you were comfortable with everybody. <laughs> and now you know nobody, you know nothing and you're starting off page one of a new textbook and trying to pick it all up and... Um, like it is similar to what I was saying earlier it is air traffic control but it's a very different environment like Dublin airspace compared with Shannon is quite small but yet very busy like sorry you said there that Dublin airspace in comp- so sorry Shannon is quite small in comparison no, to Dublin no 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 so Shannon airspace is enormous and that sorry that just doesn't make sense to me like. yeah I know so like Dublin airport is obviously the busiest airport in the country but the area that has worked at Dublin Airport is, I don't want to say quite small, it's about the size of Leinster. So in Dublin area, you work from about 5,000 feet up to 24,500 feet over the area of Leinster. 
and probably a bit out of the sea as well or yeah a bit out of sea don't know exact mileage but kind of halfway across the Irish Sea just okay. the ballpark so picking Dublin as a centrepiece and then the a circle around all of Leinster exactly the, yeah maybe kind of a 60 mile circle 80 mile circle around Dublin right basically um, Shannon works from 24,500 feet up to Officially, I think it's 660 above Dublin. So they have that space. But then they have everything over the island of Ireland, Ireland, west of Dublin and south of Dublin. And then down off the Cork coast, they work about 250 miles south of the Cork coast, 250 miles west of the west coast. And that's just because of radar, because uh, we have reach the, of radar. Yeah, we have the radar and like we can talk to planes and see planes that far out. So just... Purely by our geographic location, we work all that area. And then the same up to kind of the northwest, 200, about 250 miles northwest of Donegal, we would talk to aircraft up there. Like So if you can imagine, that's massive in comparison to Leinster, like, uh, which is what Dublin would look after. But the, the airport would be a lot busier now. So which airport? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Dublin airport. Of Dublin. course, yeah, of course. To, and to can you put that into perspective for people? Like, do you know even roughly how many times? Like, is it? I think is it twice as big, a hundred times as big. Do you know I what think mean? last year Dublin was their one of their busiest days was about seven hundred and fifty movements. They would call it so land a landing or a takeoff would okay. be a movement, and about seven hundred and fifty of them in a twenty four hour period. Seven hundred. G seven hundred and fifty a day. Jesus, okay. And that would, they're kind of, I think, to get optimum efficiency out of their runway, they're looking at about 48 movements in an hour. I was literally, I was just doing the maths to kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah. do a, a no, back it, the it, napkin it, thing. It works in peaks and troughs, but they're, they're kind of, their busiest periods, they would hoping to be getting 48 to 50 movements in an hour. So just w- over... One minute, practically. Practically, yeah. Jesus, either a landing or a takeoff. And how many runways is that spread across? That's just one runway. One runway. So one, if you were one, if, sorry, one runway active at a time. So they will use one runway at a time. In the morning, they can send departures off two runways, but that's getting into a whole different level of <laughs> complication. <laughs> it's it, every time you ask a simple question and get a simple answer, there's a complicated one just waiting in the background. Like yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, about fifty movements an hour. Um, whereas I think last year Shannon Airport had about fifty to sixty movements a day. Okay. So Shannon Airport's quite quiet, but then Shannon Airspace had over 400,000 movements across the year. So I think it averaged about eleven or 1,200 aircraft a day through the airspace. And again, to put that in a comparison, what's the Dublin version of that? If that was 1,100 in the day, what was the Dublin one? Well, you see, it's kind of different. So Dublin Airport, 750 movements a day. Okay, and then yours That was, was their busiest day, whereas Shannon, the average, I think, was about 1,200 movements a day. But, that but would, a movement there isn't a landing or a takeoff, no, is it? No, so it's an, it would be an aircraft transiting through the area, basically. And is there... Like, if you fly into that airspace, do you have to be in contact with your control, or would, yeah. would one of those planes just buzz through and kind of not say anything? No, 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 no. You'd, you'd, uh, you'd speak to pretty much every every aircraft, and obviously then safety and... Stuff around nine eleven, like if an aircraft came into our airspace and was um, 
wasn't talking to us like that would be fairly oh, major. big red flag. Yeah, yeah. And does that happen? Does your man fall asleep or does the intercom not work? Or, <laughs> you know, panic stations? There can be any number of reasons. Um, any number of reasons. What they are, you generally don't ask. But uh, there can be any number of reasons. Like, um, it can be just, you know, forgot to report in, forgot to switch over frequency. There's a whole rigmarole of different ways you can contact them then as well. Like so they would have um there's kind of a, a backup frequency that most planes would tune into one to one decimal five. So they would have generally have at least two radios on board and one of them would probably be tuned into this frequency. So wherever they are, if something went wrong, somebody knows they could reach them on this kind of distress frequency. Right. Um like a mayday frequency type thing, kind of, but it, it's more just in case of a backup. In case, right? In case like that, they forgot to call us. We tried the previous, and they had missed a frequency. weren't sure what the last one was. Like I'm sure they have all sorts of procedures to go back and check. But the odd time, it just takes them a couple of minutes. Sometimes it just takes them a couple of minutes. They're busy doing some sort of flight check, and then they call in a couple of minutes later. Or the times there's different things like there's sat phones on board. A lot of um. A lot of commercial planes now, um, there's kind of like a text message service called CPDLC. So you could send them up a message. I'm trying to contact you. Call this frequency. Um, there's all sorts of ways and means um, of trying to get in touch with them if they didn't call in. I've never, thankfully, been involved in any of them that have gone beyond two or three minutes. It, it, it happens. It's not kind of an outrageous thing that you know you don't see you might yeah, see one or two of them of. a week yeah exactly and most of the time they just call back in or whatever forgot to switch over frequency or something simple you know there's usually no, nothing else involved like yeah yeah uh, I remember growing up with the idea and I don't know if there's any truth to this but that an air traffic controller is the most stressful job in the world is that a, a, an urban myth or is there truth to that or it, like so i just get you to pull that in a, yeah a no matter um it's it is and it isn't you have stressful periods but like nobody could deal with stress 24 7 constantly um there's all sorts of procedures like i'm only allowed to sit in for a maximum period of two hours okay do you know and with what break then um you probably get about a half an hour break maybe after that if you sat in for a full two hours, you'd probably get a half an hour break. But that's stuff that's stipulated. It's no different uh, office workers. If they're working with a computer, I think they're supposed to have a 15 or 20 minute break after sitting in front of it for two hours. Right. They might not do it, but obviously our safety environment, you're you're forced out. Like, um, And it would be like you would have to take a break after that kind of period of time. But like it's, it's not physically like you're not physically tired, but you do feel it. Like I remember... Um, not long after I checked out, like in true simulation and training, we would generally sit in and do like a 40 minute exercise, which is quite like it's an intense, like and you're, you're no more than any kind of training. You're you're being pushed to kind of see if you're able for this extra workload. The working environment is kind of a little step back from that. So you kind of have the extra capacity if you ever need it, you know. Yes, the um, training's worse than the, the, the job, basically. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I remember my first week or two of sitting in you're sitting in for two hours and you get out and you're like just like wasted like you just, <laughs> what have I signed up for no no <laughs> it's not quite that bad now I have to be honest it's not quite that bad but do you know just that kind of stuff if do you know if you haven't been studying and you go back doing a load of studying your brain is just wrecked tired like and it just needs to switch off for a half an hour get a break and then go back at it like do you know you just 
plus there's so many new things going on like it's just it's it's a mad situation you're trying to think of all your procedures and everything that you know and um we have what's called an on the on the job trainer sitting beside you so they're basically like your coach they'd sit beside you for nearly 200 hours um to kind of coach you through and make sure you're comfortable and you know your stuff and it's kind of like a final it's not a final check it's kind of more coaching um so they'll sit beside you and kind of help you out through that initial period of just kind of settling in but uh yeah like it's just you're, you're wrecked like because it's just you're it's kind of sensory overload kind of thing you're just trying to take everything in and make sure you're completely on the ball with everything you're doing and you're getting everything right and you know there's just so much like it's a really fast-paced environment even though it's quite controlled but we'll say to the untrained it's it can there's a lot going on and you, you can walk in and you haven't a notion what's going on but everybody around you is trained and knows like everybody's quite comfortable in it and knows what what's happening around them and what should be happening and all that kind of stuff but just being new into that environment it can be kind of overwhelming you're trying to take it all in and it's just madness <laughs> no i fucking well believe it like yeah it's 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 funny like because it, it, it is like it's quite calm and controlled but like there's a lot happening like yeah but it, it, i i would imagine that you fit the bill of your kind of typical air traffic controller. You're quite, you don't strike me as somebody who's very kind of jittery or gets upset easily. You're fairly grounded. Yeah. Fair, pun. Fair, fair, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, fairly laid back, I think would be the term. Yeah. But the, like, there's a quite a, it's funny. And I don't want to say there's a character type, but like everybody I work with would be of a similar mindset. They're not, you know, Oh, something's going wrong. Panic, Do you know. There, <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, exactly. But I, like, there is there's quite an intensive sort of selection process. Like, so, um, I would have had, uh, two sets of kind of tests, kind of aptitude tests, and then two rounds of interviews. Um, I'm trying to remember, it's a while ago now since I did it. I think that's what I did, and then there would have been kind of you would have got a would have got offered a place on a training course from that but they do put you through fairly intensive training and part of it is you know pushing you probably a little bit harder than your working environment to see how you cope with that kind of thing but yeah there would be kind of a character type of being pretty laid back but yet kind of confident composed in your decision making and stuff like that because you know you don't want something someone that's going to get rattled easily or you know be too hot-headed or anything like that most people are pretty chilled out like yeah i think pilots probably fit the same bill do they i'd imagine so yeah like yeah there is there would be um there would be kind of an opinion of pilots being pretty chilled out but uh, yeah i know any of the ones i've dealt with now i have to say yeah pretty relaxed it's not too often you get somebody on your end of frequency that you're kind of like geez he's a bit hyper like yeah (laughs) they're all they're all pretty relaxed and but that comes with training though it's it as part of it, you know, there's a, a character type and um like I'm sure a part of the tests were kind of profiling your your uh your character. Um but your training is so good, like you know, you don't get through training unless you're competent and good at what you're doing, like and you have that kind of like part of it probably is having that air of confidence as part of part of the thing. It's you know, it's probably not written down but it it 
it would be part of the thing to appear to be confident and to appear to be in control of what you're doing. Like, oh yeah, have a have a cool head, I suppose, and a bit of an air about you. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think of the misconceptions that people have about what you do? Ah, some of them are funny. Yeah, they all. Um, is that you in front of the playing with your uh, table tennis bats <laughs> and all that kind of <laughs> the, stuff? The, the red and green cones. Yeah, waving with, with yeah, the planes. yeah. The amount of people that ask me that, and then. They, <laughs> Oh, so you work in the tower? No, I don't work in the tower. Well, again, there's one I'm guilty of. I would have assumed you're up in the yeah, tower, no? Yeah, everybody does, but like, it's kind of... Who's in the fucking tower if you're if air traffic controller? <laughs> the tower controllers. <laughs> um, <laughs> what the yeah. fuck is a tower controller? So your tower controllers are basically looking out the window and making sure everybody on and off the runway, over and back to the stands, as we call them, at the airport are... Um, are doing it properly, going where they're supposed to go, keeping them all separated. Because obviously, like you think, oh, they're on the ground, they don't need to be told where to go. But like a plane is not the most manoeuvrable thing in the world. Like yeah, you can just see your man leaning over his shoulder, yeah, looking at his yeah, rear yeah. view mirror, you know, beep, beep. Yeah, well, your man goes back another bit. Oh, too far, <laughs> yeah. hang on. Yeah, no, they're not, like they're and they're expensive. Like you know, tip one of them off, uh, off another one or off a building. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and um, does does that happen? I'm sure it does. Not on your watch. Not on my watch. Um, no. I'm up in the air anyway, so I don't have to deal with any of that now. But uh, um, yeah, I, like accidents happen. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's highly safety conscious, but accidents happen. Like you can put all the all the protection you want. There's, there's going to be accidents. Like you could be lying if you said anything else. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, like most of the time, they're not nothing major, and everybody walks away. That's the main thing. Like, but. Uh, yeah, to, so yeah, your your tower controllers basically clear people to land on runways, clear them to take off on runways, and then clear them to taxi on ground and to get them to move in and out and quickly and efficiently and safely and uh, yeah, make sure that works in all in all in good order. Like yeah, you know, of course. And you st- you what started in or got transferred to Dublin only last week or so? Yeah, so I got word a couple of weeks ago, but I actually started uh, Thursday of last week. I had uh, two days of kind of getting to know the place and getting to know some of the people up there, and started training officially on Monday. So that's been just a couple of days of so far, a couple of days of book work, um, which is just procedures and learning stuff off, and it's. Not always easy going. There's a lot in it. Like you know, like I said, it's like going from you know changing school or starting a new job anywhere. You're just trying to learn everything, and because our environment, there's so many procedures and so many different you interface with so many different other centers, and you know, like starting to learn a lot more about sort of uh, some military control and um, like everybody thinks of Dublin Airport. Yeah, the airport the airport it's a big airport in Dublin but there's two other airports within a couple of miles of Dublin airport that are pretty busy like Baldonnell Aerodrome and Weston um, is a private air airfield just south of Dublin okay no idea that yeah so like they have um, they would have jets going in and out of there as well like if you had your own private plane you could land in Weston and um, so they're all kind of part of the bigger picture of traffic going through the Dublin area that I'll be working all going well in the next couple of months 
Right. Um, so and when will you be actually in the hot seat doing the job? Like, if there's 200 hours of somebody shadowing you... Yeah, so first of all, I'll have a training course of about 12 weeks. So I think that's going to be broken down two weeks of theory, which is just going to be intensive, bombard us with theory, try and get as much of it to stick as possible. And then the following eight weeks, we'll kind of ramp up what we would call kind of sim work. So we'd be put into simulators, basically a replica screen... Uh, keyboard, mouse, headset but instead of talking to 20 different aircraft you're talking to somebody in the next room who's inputting the flight plans or whatever uh, yeah well inputting the changes, the turns or the climbs or whatever you're telling the aircraft to do um, they will kind of control all that and then you will have an instructor kind of watch it for 8 weeks sort of in the start that'll be kind of coaching, you shouldn't be doing that you should be doing this and telling, giving you pointers, you know this would work better if you tried this or this is different to what you did, we do it this way. Um, and then sort of as that eight weeks kind of progresses, um, they'll kind of step back and just kind of assess what I'm doing and kind of still kind of give feedback, but give less of kind of the coaching role and more kind of uh, assessment sort of stuff to check how I'm getting on. And then there will be a final kind of assessment made at some stage um, based on how that eight weeks has gone and how I'm getting on. So after that, then I will sit into live traffic. Um, I will have what's called an OJT sitting beside me. So they will be there be an experienced controller and they will have got a course in how to train people. Um, and they'll sit beside me for, I think it's about 200 hours. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so that will take another 10 or 12 weeks, I'd say, minimum of and just sitting in, doing it in live operations and... And seeing how that goes. Right. You mentioned earlier, you referred to Ryanair as one of your biggest customers. I, I don't know why... Not mine, by the way, but yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but again, this is just, that I suppose, that the misconceptions that people have. I would have thought that air traffic control was a, a government job, is it? Or what way does that work? Would have been. Now, I work for the Irish Aviation Authority, which uh, is a semi-state. Okay. Um. So we're kind of, we're self-sufficient, one of the few semi-states I think that are, but um, yeah, so we would charge the airlines for the services we provide. So there'd be a landing charge at Dublin Airport. Um, There's an area charge, which I've been told is a complicated formula and we charge a unit price of I think between around 30 euro. And that goes into a formula based on how long you've been in the airspace and various sort of things get input and a figure comes out at how much one Ryanair gets charged for his portion of the flight. But the more the more distance you travel in our airspace, the more you get charged. So there's basically a unit price for the time they spend in our airspace. And obviously per flight then there's a charge as well. Okay, and you've just kind of reminded us there's so much coming to mind there because it's just such a, I know, oh, such a broad a, oh, fucking... A, like a world of stuff. Like yeah. This conversation could go down 20 million different routes in the next, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, keep going. Well, you were saying that um, in Dublin, there's, they're there about to plane either taking off or landing, a movement as it's called, every minute. They're thereabouts. Yeah. Um, so what does that mean is in the fucking air at any one time? Uh, oh. or what would it be in Shannon say yeah so Dublin even... Dublin, um, because the area is quite small like and jets move quite quickly like quite, yeah, yeah so, <laughs> I forget these things I you know? know yeah so like Dublin um, 
there wouldn't be obviously as many in the Dublin airspace as there would in the Shannon airspace. But just to give you an idea, so a jet coming into Dublin might come into the airspace in around three hundred knots. Okay, what's is that there there about miles an hour? Or? Knots are it's going faster than miles an hour. Okay, um, so I think one knot is about one point seven kilometers. Okay, so knots three hundred knots multiplied by one point seven. I'm not going to try live maths on the radio. 500-ish. Yeah, over 500 kilometers an hour. Okay. Um, So it will slow back then because it lands at about 100 and give or take 50, 150, 180 knots. Presumably that's as slow as it can go. Yeah, so it slows right down for approach. Like not quite as slow as it can go, but uh, probably not far off it. Like yeah, so yeah. for obviously a safe and a soft landing they want to have time so they don't want to be coming in too fast like um so yeah they they would fly in could take them maybe 15 minutes or so from kind of crossing into the airspace on a long arrival to actually kind of touch down um now in shannon it could take 45 minutes to cross the airspace because obviously you're crossing from the east coast of ireland to 250 miles off the west coast yes um and I've kind of realised I'm pointing at a lot of stuff, which is not great <laughs> on the uh, on this medium. But uh, yeah, so that's quite a long, like it could take 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the type of aircraft to cross that airspace. And if that, just on that point, if you are, if someone's coming from, I don't know, fucking Berlin to New York, say, when they enter your airspace, is it, you know, hello, Shannon. I'm Fran McKeown, I'm flying this plane and I've just entered your airspace, is everything okay? And then you talk back to say it is and then the same on exit or yeah. is it slightly more complicated? No, that? and it's funny, like it, like I said, everything is simple and complicated. It's it's a lot like more simple. So like we kind of speak in a an abbreviated language because, um, and I'm kind of talking about Shannon a lot, but I've five years experience down there. Oh, yeah, of course. Two, yeah, two yeah. days in Dublin, so I don't know <laughs> that much about it. Um, but uh, in Shannon, like you would have the guts of, you could have the guts of 18 to 20 aircraft on your frequency. So that could be 18 to 20 people that want to talk to you. So you can't go, hi, how's it going? How are you? Having a good day? I'm yeah. heading this way. So they just real basic call in with the call sign, the flight level. Uh, and they might say where they're going, and they might follow that up with if they had a request. So, like, uh, Aer Lingus are abbreviated, they're called Shamrocks. So, Shamrock 123, Direct Dogal, Flight Level 320. And that's it. And I would say Shamrock 123 uh, identified, continue Direct Dogal, or clear them to a different point, tell them to go somewhere else, if that's what I want, depending on what I wanted them to do. So it's real kind of abbreviated and short and that creates so much time then on the frequency to get other stuff done. So then you might talk to another plane and tell him to climb and it's then almost as abbreviated. So Ryanair 123, climb flight level 340 and he will just read that back, climbing flight level 340, Ryanair 123. And it's real short and abbreviated kind of language, but it's also then it makes it easier for non-native English speakers to pick it up because it's... English is the universal language, English is the universal language, which is good because I'm brutal at languages. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, English is the, the universal language. And it's it's only kind of when you develop experience, but you're actually listening out for just key pieces of information. So like if a pilot did call in with a long-winded kind of call-in and whatever, 
you're just you're you really your ear is tuned to pick out the key pieces of information that you need and you will retain those and you will disregard if he's giving you stuff that you don't need or information you're not <coughs> excuse me needing at that particular moment you just kind of disregard it and tune into some of the stuff that you do need um so it's really kind of weird sorry um Um, it's a real mad kind of language and it just, it completely changes the way you think and talk sometimes. Yeah, well, believe it. It's, is there, there's an <coughs> analogy there or is there between what, how you speak and, not Morse code, um, <coughs> Brava, Delta, Echo, what's that called again? Uh, phonetics. 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 Do you use, is, is there, is that in your job at all? Yeah, or? yeah, it is. So like every letter would have a word to stop any kind of confusion so the same thing like your b's your c's your d's your e's if you say them quickly on a frequency was it a b or a c or a d so it would be bravo charlie or delta and that would (coughs) excuse me (coughs) and that kind of cuts out that possible ambiguity and so that's used all the time so go back to kind of the initial thing there shamrock one two three clear direct dogal and you go dogal and you go yeah delta oscar golf alpha lima and spell it out from and he go yeah dogal great and off he goes like in he would read that back properly in in kind of aviation language but that's <coughs> sorry no you're you're okay there you coughed yes. up the lung yeah the lung's gone out the door <laughs> grand good stuff come here um before I fucking forget, what was the story with the Russian bears? And it, it, do I even have that right? Was it bears? Russian what? bears, yeah. So the bear thing, it's just an aircraft type that Russia have, military aircraft. Um, they appeared on primary radar off the south coast of Cork, I believe. And sorry, primary radar being... Sorry, yeah. So it, this is classic. So a simple question, complicated <laughs> answer. Um, so there's like... Uh, secondary radar is what's used and has a range of 250 miles it's uh, lower energy consumption so it works efficiently on that distance to try and get a primary signal the amount of energy you would have to send out that far to get a, a bouncing signal to come back okay. so uh, primary sends out a signal sees you there bounces off you and picks up the return signal Yes. But a secondary actually dialogues with something. So it sends out a signal. There's a system in the aircraft which picks up that signal and actually sends a signal back to it. So secondary meaning meaning it needs another system to operate. And primary, it just sends out one signal and picks up the return. So oh, okay, so f- and forgive my ignorance, but secondary is has twice the range then as primary? Yeah, so it doesn't need to send out as much energy because it doesn't need to bounce off a, su- off a surface and bounce back. So yes. it actually picks up the reflection of stuff a primary radar does, but the secretary doesn't need to do that. It sends a signal to... And it's received by something. It's received by a system in the aircraft and it sends back information. Okay. And it's just little packets of information which is then processed and then that all just feeds into the big system which appears then on my screen. It's very complicated, <laughs> and I don't know an awful lot about it, but that's the basics. Uh, 
if you're interested, Google will have loads of answers. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia, yeah, radar. Absolutely, yeah. Like it is, it's it's interesting when you get into it, but trying to convey it in two minutes and not take up the rest of this conversation, you know, it's one of those where you could just, it's just, there's so much involved in it. And it <laughs> it's, it's quite simple when you just think about it that way, but yeah, it, if you're interested in more information, I suggest looking it up because I might be giving you the wrong stuff. Right, okay, so the Bears. Were, the you, bears. were you working for this or when was this exactly? No, I was off. Uh, summer, not summer last year, summer the year before, I think. Now that's just off the top of my head. Yeah, now, yeah so but you know, in the last year or two. Like. Yeah, the last kind of 18 months, I'd say, maybe a little bit longer. Um, so yeah, a primary radar will just pick up the reflection of an aircraft. So all of our other traffic will have a transponder, which picks up the signal from a secondary radar and responds and it, it gives information back it doesn't just give a reflection so that's where we know the call sign of the aircraft and the level it's at comes from this transponder and it's not just a, a blip on the screen it's not just a blip on the screen whereas the primary just picks up the reflection of something yes so um an aircraft being a russian bear came within range so we have three primary radars in Ireland one in Dork, one in Dublin one in Cork and one in Shannon so it came, they would only have a range of about 50 to 60 miles so it came within range of the one in Cork so there was a primary signal picked up um, by the air traffic controllers in Shannon um, now I believe I wasn't there that day but I believe UK military were already aware that this was happening and they had scrambled jets. So um, to keep it, uh, to give you a brief insight, so uh, 12 miles off the coast of Ireland is international waters and anybody can, do you know. And that's airspace as well, or is it? Yeah, no, so like, I mean, 12 miles laterally off the coast, all that airspace is international. It's not, you're not encroaching on Irish territory. So they didn't actually encroach in over the lands of Ireland so they didn't infringe okay, so on a, Ireland as such they came into Irish airspace okay and how far out does Irish airspace go so it, it as I explained earlier then it's Irish airspace 250 miles off the west coast okay so for, for a second there I thought you meant it was 12 miles no, off the coast no, so like for a plane the, that's yeah, like. yeah absolutely so that's like the territorial waters the same as being in a boat once you go 12 miles you're in international waters yes in the air, same thing, once you're more than 12 miles off the coast. So they didn't infringe uh, on Ireland as such, but they were were in Irish airspace. Um, they never went in. We're obviously neutral country, so we tend not to get involved in stuff like this. Plus, we don't have, um, do you know... Anything to use if we yeah, want to get yeah. involved. <laughs> don't pick a fight unless, you know, you're going to be at least competitive. Um, so... Uh, yeah, we've we've nothing to match that kind of uh, aircraft with, like in in Ireland, like so. Um, as far as I know, the Brits had scrambled jets, um, and they just stayed inside British airspace. But they kind of stayed either side of a boundary line, which is just a notional line in space that's drawn on a map on radar. Of course, Do you know what I mean. Yeah, it, it doesn't exist. Really. It's the agreed boundary between the two airspaces, but it's it. There's nothing there, like so. Um, the Bears stayed the Irish side of the line, went up and down a couple of times, and the uh, UK military stayed the UK side of the line and went up and down a couple of times, and then they just headed off. But uh, like I, I believe, uh, believe UK military had picked them up like before we had, like so they. I'm, I'm assuming they have 
better radar systems for kind of military stuff that would have a bigger range and pick up stuff like that a lot sooner. Is there is there satellites involved in, in air traffic controlling? There, because again, just from the movies, I would yeah, have assumed there, it would there, have there is, but it's kind of slow to develop. Um, how much they're involved, I'm not sure. They would set relay signals through satellite, so we would have systems that would send a signal via satellite to an aircraft. Um, so like the old school stuff is VHF, but that's all line of sight. So once they go beyond the curvature of the earth or once they go beyond a certain distance of the um, radio site, they're out of coverage. And what kind of distance is radio site? Because our visual site is, is what is it? Is it 10 miles to the, to the horizon or, or something or 12, like that? Something level? like that, yeah. But given that you're up at such a height. Yeah, so radio coverage, I think, would be in the range of 250 miles or something like that. Okay. And I think it's curvature of the earth then rules them out. So like if they're at 260, but they're higher, you might pick them up. Right. But if they're at 240 and lower, you might not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. it's not not an exact science, but that would be kind of where you'd where you'd be looking. But yeah, satellites used. Um, how extensively? I'm not sure. I know Ireland have got involved in a satellite tracking system, so like the MH370 and stuff like that that went missing. Um, Ireland have developed a system. Uh, or in partnership in developing a system which would provide satellite coverage for planes. So if for any reason a plane went missing, it would record the last known position. So there would be a GPS signal for its last known coordinates. Right. Which I, like at the time when uh, the MH370, I think is the right number, um, went missing, that wasn't available. And then obviously they were kind of going, well, it was kind of here when it went missing, but like kind of here for a jet moving at, six or eight miles a minute if you're not entirely sure when it disappeared yeah, that's, that's a lot of ocean yeah yeah um plus then currents and wind and you know off track then it could be you know like a massive area like you know and it's it's funny you uh you kind of look at planes and in the greater perspective of an airport some of them are quite small and then you end up beside one of them and you're like this is massive. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and this yeah, is yeah. one of the small ones, like, you know, so um, some of the figures are, can be kind of hard to wrap your head around, like. And just on that, on the different kind of sizes of planes that you'd be dealing with, presumably you have to give different instructions to bigger planes. Like, we're, we're, I'm just thinking in my own head, you telling the pilot, okay, come in at this height, and him coming back to you saying you know, that's impossible. How the fuck am I supposed to turn this big giant thing around in what you're saying? Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's, and that's probably some of the basic aircraft training that you would get. So you wouldn't expect uh, an A380, one of the biggest planes, to turn in as tight as a smaller 737, kind of what Ryanair are flying. Um, but they're just, they're just different and that's part of experience and building that up that, I just like now know there's certain things planes will and won't do and um turning not so much like in en route you're not really expecting big turns because it's such a big area that we're actually kind of doing small turn early you know if you've two kind of crossing at the same level you'll turn one of them a small bit early I say early you're talking 60 or 70 miles away give it a five degree turn he'll miss them by about five miles yes do you know they're two that are kind of look like they could be bang on crossing each other a five or a ten degree turn at 60 miles the problem is sorted 
Um, but in what Dublin are doing, like uh, Dublin area, the stuff I've been looking at for the last sort of few days, like it's just they're so much more manoeuvrable, but they're slower as well. So it's like if you kind of compare it to a boat, a big massive ocean liner full steam ahead in the middle of the ocean, it's not going to turn quickly, whereas a speedboat in a harbour, it's an awful lot more manoeuvrable. Of course. Um, there is that kind of thing, but that's just kind of building up an experience and an appreciation. The most thing we would use would be kind of watching rates of climb. And, you know, if you have two cross and then you want one to climb above, it's monitoring the rate of climb and making sure it's climbing quick enough. And some of that's just the built-in experience that, yeah, he'll he'll climb at this rate or he won't and I'll just wait till they pass and then I'll climb him up afterwards. But it's it's funny like until you kind of see it all actually in operation it's hard to wrap your head around it like it can it can sound very complicated but when you see it actually operating and when you get and it does take a time like i'll bring people i've brought people in and showed them around and you kind of go oh should we go in for 15 20 minutes but then you're there two hours later still (laughs) trying to explain something like and uh it's just you can get so in depth in parts of it like um, and then it just there's so much involved like there's so much involved like from where you started the click on your phone to book a flight to actually getting on board with your bag and taking off and landing and walking away there's so many moving parts and there's so many different layers of people involved and like massive amounts of stuff like, it's just endless it's it? almost endless yeah when you mentioned they were bringing somebody in and again this is just my kind of movie informed mind's eye I'm picturing a Dr. Evil type lair with you know 15 foot tall and 100 foot wide computer screens and knobs and dials and all sorts of fancy lasers and crazy yeah, equipment yeah. is it like that or is it just like telesales and aircom or, or what, what? what is the actual it's mad. place where you guys operate I, like? like I remember the first time so I um, I got a visit round the centre in Dublin before so to do an interview as part of my recruitment process and they uh, say if you want to come up and have a look around just to kind of get a feel for what's going on they'll bring you up and I remember thinking like that uh, pushing tin where it's mad and everybody's roaring at each other and shouting at each other and all this and it's real relaxed and calm and like quite like this full of people just talking in kind of conversational language and that kind of level and that kind of tone Um it can get quite busy, like in the middle of summer when you have a team change. So there's one team in working and then another team come in and they do a kind of a handover procedure. So there's an awful lot of talk and it can get quite loud. But like other than that, 95% of the time, it's quite a relaxed kind of controlled environment. Lots of people talking to each other, um, lots of kind of chitter chatter. Um, but just bank of computer screens and people working away looking at the computer screen talking to the person beside them talking on the frequency maybe making a couple of phone calls um visually would you know you were in an air traffic control or would it just look like another kind of telesales office or not 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 an office so like it's um in shannon there's kind of three banks um of computers running around kind of the perimeter of a big room and then in the middle, there's two kind of banks with um, kind of coordinators and uh, fewer to kind of kind of manage in the room. That's kind of their position. But it basically then just each 
bank would have maybe six, seven, eight sectors, we would call them. So pairs of computer screen, keyboard, mouse. Um, and it's kind of like a short enough bit of desk with your keyboard and your uh, compad, we call them. So um, all your comms equipment. So all your frequencies are controlled from there. So you can select different frequencies to talk to different planes. You make all your phone calls, all that kind of stuff through it. And then in front is just a big... Um, they call them 2K by 2K screens, so like quite a big square screen. Um, and it's just two of them sitting beside each other. And then that kind of situation is just replicated about six times down in the line. And then a kind of a 90 degree turn and there's another six or eight. And then at the far end of that room, there's another 90 degree turn and another six or eight. Um, so if you had never seen one before, you would probably look a little bit like the old style arcade machines with like a keyboard that kind of size screen okay yeah yeah and just stacked up beside each other and um, so that's kind of a rough like to try and paint a picture that's kind of a rough idea of what you're what it's you're looking not, it's at it's not nasa's mission control center because i think that's kind of what was in my head yeah, there'd, there'd be bits and pieces of that like there'd be various kind of systems uh backup radio system and um the main compad be fewer the things around that would be similarish. They're that kind of bank unit, I suppose, if you're thinking of the same thing I am. Um, but I know what I was looking at, so that <laughs> might be easier for me. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like a, a an old, you, know, do you ever see like old, big, massive bank of computers that are like six or eight foot tall yeah, and yeah. have the screen built into the middle yes. of them. But like like that, quite like an arcade. So yeah. like an arcade with a, a, a bigger bit of desk in front of them for, you know, um, a compad maybe the size of your laptop and room for a keyboard and a mouse beside that and then just a, an office kind of chair to sit on um, and then a line of maybe eight or ten of those screens the whole way along and that's kind of one bank of computers or one right. bank of sectors and how many of you is on at the one time like, like, and I, I know you're only in Dublin a, a yeah, day or so two I'll talk about Shannon because yeah, I kind of yeah. know better um, so it would it gets very quiet in the evening why is that? I would have thought it was kind of non-stop constant. no so just the natural flow of aircraft uh people want to take off in the morning in europe and land in america in the afternoon and want to take off in the evening in america and land in the morning in europe so there's a natural flow for us so it gets quite quiet in the evening from seven eight nine o'clock um until about three o'clock in the morning and at three o'clock in the morning it can just kind of go a bit bonkers so you would have we'd call them sectors so the whole airspace would be divided up into two sectors from eight or nine o'clock until three half three in the morning and then as each piece of airspace gets busier and more planes come into it they they have a dynamic sectorization they call that so they can just divide it into two and put so instead of having two people working that airspace you now have four and then as that gets busier again they'll divide it again so you then have six and eight and excuse me, so on, it'll just keep dividing them. You'll get more and more sectors. So each sector would have a capacity of about 20 aircraft. So from two sectors with an entire airspace having a capacity of 40 planes, you then subdivide it and that quickly multiplies to, I don't know, in the middle of summer you could probably have 100 or 100, probably more actually. You could have about eight sectors in the middle of the summer. Right, yeah, yeah. sectors, 20 planes each, 180 planes in Irish airspace at one time. Um, 
they're rough figures now. I'm just. Oh yeah, no, of course, yeah, no, but just just to give me an idea because again, like I I drive to the airport, I park in the short term, or you know, yeah, I, I yeah. walk up, I, I sit around, I jump on my plane, and I go, and all this is kind of happening in the background. But and you just don't so see it, like it. yeah. So like you, like that, you get to the airport, you see a plane two or three miles out, he lands, he taxis in, you see another one taxi out, he climbs off, and you see him for maybe four or five miles on a good day, and that's it. You don't know anything else like you look up in the sky on a good summer's day and you'll see the, the jet streams of yeah, some of the yeah they're the ones kind of traveling from europe to america most of them and they're just overflying the country so they're never going to land in the country but they're ones that would be worked we would work in shannon um and like that then on a busy summer so yes sorry on a busy summer morning there'd be plenty of them like um so from three o'clock planes start coming across from America and it just gets busier and busier up until maybe about 8 o'clock in the morning it will kind of lull and then about 10 o'clock all those planes have landed, refuelled got new people on board, new flight crew and they take off and start going back to America so from about 10 o'clock until 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon in the summer it can be bonkers again and the same kind of situation and then it will die off for the night like yeah, yeah, no, no, of course. No, it's, it's just, the, the whole thing is just fascinating. And between, like, is there, you're dealing with cargo and military. Mi- military. Yeah. What, like, the, the, the passenger cargo military, is there ones that I'm missing or? No, that's kind of, they would be kind of your main passenger cargo military. Yeah, I don't know, that'd be it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and it's, it's like kind of an unseen world. Like, there's nobody, like I said, what do you do in an air traffic controller? Oh, you have the table tennis bats at the airport. No, <laughs> I work in a building that nobody knows about. Nobody cares about because they just buy their ticket, get on the plane and go and get off. But like, it's actually like an amazing thing. And I, I would urge anybody that if they ever got a chance to go on and seeing it, like seeing some of the workings that go on in the background and some of the stuff that happens and the number of planes that are kind of <laughs> around that you're just going about your daily business not realising that there's a couple of hundred planes crossing overhead constantly constantly I have a, an app on my phone I don't, I don't even know if it's an app I think it's no sorry it's not an app it's a shortcut to a website uh, Flight Radar are you yeah, familiar with that? yeah yeah that has blown my fucking mind so it has and they're not even all the planes that we would see on radar so they're working I think it's an ADS system they're picked up through so there's all this different types of systems like you were asking about satellite. I was afraid to touch ADS because I'm not even fully sure how it works. <laughs> but it's uh, it's another kind of communication and position reporting system. And Flight Radar have access to this. There's a, a broadcast system and a contract system and they have access to one of them, but not both of them. So there's other planes. Up there that isn't on what I'm looking at. Isn't on what you're looking at. Yes, yeah, so you're probably getting probably... I don't know, put a figure on it, maybe 70 or 75% of the planes, you won't see any military planes on it. Right. So they're they're not going to appear on it. Um, some of the business jets, the private jets, you won't see them on it. Some of the helicopters, you won't see them. And certain airlines, I don't I don't know if they're all on it now. I'm kind of scrambling a little bit here now, but you'll, um, you'll certainly see probably 70 to 75% of the aircraft that are in the air on it. Yeah, no, I'd recommend to anybody that's any interest in aircraft or planes or aviation or anything of the sort to go on to, I think it's, it's flightradar.com. Flightradar24, we'll flightradar maybe. That's it, I think, flightradar24. Yeah, there's also then, if you are interested, atclive.net, I think, or if you just type in atclive, you'll get it. But it's it will pull some of the frequency feeds. 
So when I'm sitting in work, some of what I'm saying is broadcast out on this website. Like, and there would no be. Either. So you like. You can earwig on the, the conversation. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of try and keep it professional because it's all recorded then as well. Like, so <laughs> if you say something wrong, you get called down to an office and did you say this? Yeah, that was me. Do you know, but it, like it's all for a safety. Of course. And to then do an investigation and see, did I do something wrong or did the pilot do something wrong or did something go wrong in the middle and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it's... Um, it's all recorded, but a lot of it, a lot of it, some of it is available on that website. But like you would see, I don't know what's it now, going in and out to Dublin, the um, like plane spotters along the side of the runway, like, yeah. and they'll turn up and watch. And some of them, I think, are recording the. So each plane has a reg similar to a car, so you know you can track it from its bought to who owns it and where it went. And um, some uh, spotters will track and record some of the regs they've seen and build up like a database on it but they'll be listening in then to know um so you can buy receivers that can just pick up the frequencies we broadcast on and they can listen into that then as well yeah yeah um but yeah it's 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 mad some of it seems completely not alien to me like i'm i'm kind of like anybody of a general interest in planes and aviation and you know like a lot of people growing up, you know, tractors and cars and all that kind of stuff. You just have an interest in mechanical stuff, but um, not not to that level. Some people are like really, really into it. Like, and would you, would you, or any of the guys that you work with get excited about certain aircraft coming into your airspace? Or again, is that just something that I've kind of imagined? <laughs> um, excited? I don't think I've ever got excited <laughs> by it. No, I've never been that interested did have and I do remember Air Force One travelling through yeah th- things like that that like, was there, pretty cool yeah is there like aside from Air Force One which is the obvious one that the, the American president's playing aside from that is there much of that going on uh, it's surprised I, I was working a night shift one night and the I did notice is it the G14 or some of those one of the summits summits was on or was just over and I did notice there was a load of not Air Force One, but similar. I can't remember them now. Um, Just unusual kind of activity kind of stuff. Yeah, like, I don't think it was Air France 001, but it was something like that. And it was the French president, and um, I think it could have been a Pakistan one. was Or Air India one was the Indian president. And there was a couple of other ones that came through. I can't remember them now, but I do remember thinking there's a couple of pre- world presidents World leaders, world whatever. leaders, yeah, coming through, um, which is kind of cool. But you, like, you really don't know. Like, you, you could be, you could be sending celebrities or like world leaders. They're obviously different because they have a call sign Air Force One. That's the president of the Amer- of America. Yes, but you've no idea who's on board any of them. Do you know? Of course, yeah. yeah it could be yeah. me and you going on holidays, or it could be rock stars, or it could be anything like. Um, which is kind of it's f- funny when you think about it. Like, but um, it just it's just part of a bit like you said earlier, compartmentalizing, and you just you just do your job and you talk to the plane in front of you, and you don't think about some of that kind of stuff. But yeah, like there there surely is interesting people transiting through on a daily basis, like that we're just completely unaware of. Yeah, no, no, of course. Uh, with so much going on, I th- I think most of us bring a certain amount of work home with us yeah and I think it, arguably it mightn't be the, the most stressful job in the world as there might be an urban myth about it but it certainly is a stressful job can be yeah yeah Um, 
and you've a, a relatively stressful life, I suppose, more so now because of the move to Dublin. But um, I want to get chatting to you about your young lad, Oscar. Yeah. yeah. And just for the benefit of people listening, I obviously would have given you a heads up that I wanted to, to touch on that with you. So can you outline for people what Oscar's story is, basically, in a, in a nutshell, say? Yeah, I will. The first thing I want to say, I have the best job in the world for some of this kind of stuff because um, different to people who work and answer emails and go home and then think, oh crap, what did I say in that email or I need to get on to them tomorrow. I do a handover from work, so I'm working a sector and when it's my time to come home, somebody comes over and you do a handover procedure, tell them what's going on, what's happening, if there's anything not working, anything unusual going on, give them information about the traffic they have and you plug out and it's the best part of my job because as soon as you plug out that's somebody else's baby and <laughs> somebody am, else's I, problem yeah absolutely like and it's great <laughs> you know you don't go home and go well, I wonder did that plane get you know to that on their holidays alright or does somebody else is looking after it and it's yeah. the best part of it so in a way that's kind of great for home life like um, like any parent it's busy and I know you have a new arrival at the minute so you're kind of in the depths of it, and congratulations, obviously. Thank but, you, uh, we certainly are. Yeah, yeah. Five it, weeks in. It's going well. You don't look too tired now. I'm doing all right, in fairness, though. She's breastfeeding, so that takes a kind of the a workload, bit of the workload off, off me, especially during the nights. Uh, so uh, she doesn't look as fresh as I might say. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's uh, it's not easy. But uh, sorry, yeah, so Oscar is four. Um, he is my eldest kid. I have another little girl, Robin, who's three. And Oscar has autism, is just the straight out way of saying it. And um, is there, because I've been often confused with this, I hear a lot of talk of a, of a spectrum. Yeah, that's the best way of explaining that. So, it's it kind of, people ask, oh, how far along the spectrum is he? Or, you know, this this kind of stuff. And it's not it's not an exact science. So, there's, there's people out there and... Um, Adam Harris is probably a great example. Set up the As I Am charity. Okay. He's a younger brother of Minister Simon Harris, I think. Okay. Could be wrong about that now, but um, he is about 20 years of age and has set up this charity to create awareness around autism. So he, uh, I was in Mary Eye College in Limerick, myself and Naomi went in, and he was doing a speech to an auditorium of three or four hundred now it was aimed at kind of uh, teachers coming out of Mary Eye but we heard it was on and went in just for our own information and I'm kind of looking at him up at the top of the room and going I would get myself sitting in here chatting to all these people but he stood up and spoke beautifully and put together a presentation and he's the face of the charity and he's doing a lot of work on it I'm sorry he has autism himself or? sorry so he has autism himself okay so that's kind of to give like you know, and it was interesting. Part of his um, PowerPoint, he put up pictures. Which of these people have autism? And you can kind of look at one or two and kind of go, think he has, think she has, don't think she has. Next page, and there's a couple just of from celebrities. A, just from a picture. Just from a picture. Okay. Next page, none of them. But there was a couple of celebrities, and he was like, "Well, actually, she has autism. I can't remember the name of the celebrity, but well-known celebrity acting a movie. Do you know?" So. This is where they talk about the spectrum and it can be really high functioning, they call it, on the spectrum. Job, successful, articulate, 
perfectly capable. They wife might have and, certain wife and kids, you know, live live their normal life. Absolutely, absolutely. They might have certain needs or certain things that kind of trigger them in a certain way. And then at the other end of the spectrum, to give you an example, like and by no means is Oscar on the very bad end of the spectrum or do you know to kind of categorize I don't like using that word, but he's not sort of severely uh, affected, but he's four and a half and he can't properly talk yet. Okay. He's not toilet trained yet. Okay. Do you know, whereas yeah, yeah. we've a three year old who would talk till the cows come home and is toilet trained <laughs> and just rules the roost in our house but with an iron fist oh stop yeah she's she's the boss even though Naomi tries to tell her she's not and tries to tell me she's not but we all know who is uh, yeah and as much as I refuse to admit it she probably is yeah yeah so um, so that kind of stuff now um, we've been lucky and one of the great things then sorry to throw back to my job is like the last two years we've been in a position where Naomi's taking a career break Look, thing financial things have been a bit tighter, but like by no means are we on the breadline around like that. So like that's been a great thing that like my job has been able to put us in a position where we can afford to do that. Like yeah. and sometimes you kind of have to step back and go, "Jesus, I'm really lucky that we are in that position." Like yes. a roof over our head, we still got away in a couple of holidays and stuff like that. So we're not stuck by any means. So, um, she's taken a two year career break, and that has made a huge difference. Um, just in terms of him and how he's coming on and sort of anyone that would have seen him 18 months ago, two years ago just a completely kind of disinterested not disinterested, I don't want to talk him down that sounds a bit unfair Yeah, but, but that, that's how he would have come across Yeah, sorry, yeah, that's probably a better way of explaining it yeah. to somebody who came into our house out of the blue he would have been disinterested, played by himself no interest in talking to anybody you probably, if you left our house after a short visit, you probably could have thought he was deaf. Right. Because if you called him or tried to interact with him, he just just had no, he just hasn't learned social skills, you know, that you turn and look at people to interact with them, that you make eye contact when you're talking to people because it shows you're interested. Do you know, any of these kind of things. Like Now, we've since discovered a lot of this information is going in but it just doesn't, So it can feel like sometimes it's not, or you're talking to the wall, do you know? Yes. Um, so yeah, kind of rambling on a little bit. But no, no, I, no, you're grand, you're grand. Yeah, and it's it's kind of hard, it, it's a bit like aircraft control, it's hard to explain it in one sentence. Of course, but, of course. Um, it's definitely something I want to create an awareness of, and I certainly didn't come here just to do that, but I definitely think it's something, it's becoming not more prevalent, there's probably more awareness of it in the country, um, I heard a statistic that one in kind of 65 kids, I think, in a primary school age are affected by autism in some form or another. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now that can be quite, don't want to say quite mild, There's some kids have different difficulties and different needs. Um, like I said, the most obvious thing, Oscar can't really communicate, not, not communicate, he can communicate fine, he can't really talk. Of um, course. And it's one thing that's kind of... I've noticed just completely reevaluating like communication. You know, he can't talk to us, but he can get his message across perfectly <laughs> well. When he is not happy, nobody is in any doubt. And uh, like some of that is just amazing to see. Um, and little things that he's learned recently, like, and it just it completely changes the bar um, of where you kind of what you you know you can. You have a kid and you have an expectation, not an expectation, but you know, you kind of, 
daydream about what your life might be like it's completely different to probably what i expected but yet the same time like this sense of um joy i get for some of his like incredibly small achievements but i know how hard he's worked for them yeah of course it's just like mind-boggling like just mind-boggling like some of the stuff that he can do now that he couldn't do 18 months ago and it's just it's phenomenal whereas like almost in an unfair way like um life just comes naturally to robin she picks up on her social skills she's just the center of attention in a room when she walks into it she has everybody like she's kind of a performer even though she's quite shy when you uh, like we started bringing her to dance classes and we were like she's gonna love these like she's just gonna lap it up but she's just quite shy in that new environment she's quite young still like but you know we thought oh she'll be you know doing all the dance moves and coming on putting on shows for us but she's still quite a shy little girl like yeah um but like in nan's house or nana's house or over in a friend's house she's well able to uh command an audience like and uh it's it's funny like you just pick up on these things um it can be amazing to see how like easy it comes for some people and and yet how hard it can come for oscar but yet that makes some of what he does even more amazing like of course and and how does um sorry what's the, the girl's name sorry robin robin how does Robin, how much of it does she understand that Oscar, you know, ha- has autism? Does she, un- like, at three, fuck. Like, my young lad is, like, is, is she just gone three or is she nearly four? Or uh, where is she? she was three in January. Um, okay. Probably in awareness that something's different. Beyond but, uh, that, I'm not too sure, like. Of course. And again, just for people listening, because I know myself, I wouldn't have known what a three-year-old was a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. And, so. and in a way, that's one thing too. Like, I, uh, we obviously didn't. And uh, that's the, in- like, not interesting thing, but that's the one thing, like, Oscar was our first. So, you know, things that you might see now with your second and kind of go, oh, yeah. He was doing that at that age or wasn't doing that or she's ahead or behind. Oscar was the first, so we just didn't pick up on kind of any of the... Not didn't pick up on any of the early cues, but you're not kind of sure uh, what's normal or not normal. And I don't like using those words either, but, no, but you know I, what I mean? I, I think everyone knows what you, exactly what yeah, you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, obviously coming up towards a second birthday and not... Um, kind of got off point there a little bit but uh coming up towards the second birthday and not kind of really making any attempt to talk yeah and then kind of seeing kids you know you're starting to do kind of play dates and starting to see kids around his age kind of trying to make converse not conversation attempts but But interact with each other yeah yeah and interact with parents and um whereas he's quite happy kind of doing his own thing and we're just like guys He's quite just a bit happy. introverted, maybe yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, um, because I'd be quite quiet, shyish in certain situations. Um, I'm an only child, so I've just always kind of rode my own boat as such. But I like just kind of thought he was being that kind of kid, like that he yeah, just did his own thing and did it his own way, and that was it. But no, as as time went on, we realised there was something, something, uh, something else involved. But sorry, so Robin realises. Now I'd say she's not old enough to kind of explain this yet, but I like she, she seems to have a good appreciation that the rules aren't the same. Yes. Um. So like something simple like sitting down for dinner, um, 
kids with autism can just they find it really hard to just sit still um they can kind of have overwhelming kind of bursts of energy that they just need to get up and kind of run or you know burn that off in a way so um robin as a three-year-old gets to sit there and eat your dinner whereas oscar's dinner is put on the table we bring him over to the table and he might start eating but he might get down off his chair go for a little run and then you'll either call him back or he'll come back himself and eat a bit more dinner and maybe go again and come back but unfortunately poor robin is still getting the sit down and eat your dinner yeah 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 yeah. of course they never say it in that tone it's always would you please sit down and eat your dinner (laughs) As any parent would. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> you little fucker. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like the rules are just different and the benchmarks are different. And that's just going to be the way life is. We've kind of, we've come to that. And like initially we were probably, uh, you know, like it's a bit of a shock to try and take it in and understand. And autism, I've heard of it. I don't really know what it is. And. Do you know, and ju- just on that point, like not knowing what it is, in a similar way to kind of air traffic control, we 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 hear of air traffic controllers and we hear of autism, we hear of all these different things, and we build up models in our in our head or preconceptions, yeah. I suppose. Is there one or several big ones that you got wrong or that you wish you had known in hindsight, or can you can you even remember what your what your view of autism was before you kind of not really just the, the I, didn't, I didn't really i heard of it i knew kind of kids had it was would have been one of my you know perceptions as such that obviously doesn't you know it's it's uh described as a life debilitating illness i think is the word that's used um but uh no didn't just didn't really know a lot about it like yeah, it's yeah. it's just one of those like obviously you do the whole, don't do it anybody, but you do the whole Google thing and check this out and it did come up as a possibility and we're like, nah, he doesn't have autism, something else. And like we kind of gone through a few things. So like there was kind of complications with his birth. He got a bit stressed when he was being born and that led to a week in neonatal. And when we were in, we were, he was born in Drada, like, so he ended up spending a week in neonatal and they were running a scheme, a pilot scheme over there where any kid born and who'd spent time in neonatal after birth was given um, some form of hearing test. Right. And you're kind of like, how the fuck do you check the hearing of a, a newborn? A week old. But, so they put like a probe in, put a sound in to his ear and measured, measured the echo of the response, I think is how to do it. Right. So the cochlea vibrates, and this machine picks up the return vibration to, yeah, yeah. to make sure the cochlea is working. So did that in both ears, and like he was supposed to be kind of asleep, or pretty kind of... You know, Mellow. Or... Yeah. So halfway through the second year, he kind of got disturbed and started crying, so then he failed his test on the second year so that led us into kind of a hearing test route where he got assessed then again a couple of times before he was 12 or 18 months coincidentally the second time he passed on the year that failed the first time and failed on the second year so that led us on to another test so then you're kind of going like fuck right so he failed in one year then failed in the other year but this third person told us he passed in both years so was the first person right, the second person right, or the third person right? And you obviously go, well, he said we passed, so the third person was right. Yes. Great, we're happy. But then you start going, 
second guessing yourself. Yeah, of course. So we ended up bringing him back for another hearing test. So that was kind of the early indicators that wasn't really responding to us when he was calling his name and stuff like that. And um, the one thing I would kind of advise people out there, if you do have concerns, like go and get this stuff checked out because we've been lucky enough, like we kind of... I wouldn't say caught it early, but like, and it, it was fairly obvious, really, like you couldn't kind of miss it. But we, we kind of acted early and we've kind of got him help early. So that, that the last 18 months now has made a big difference uh, to him and in his life. Like you're starting to get words and stuff um, like single phrases or two word phrases, asking for stuff like you can kind of do three word phrases. Um, we went on holidays um Kind of around October time last year, and that was the first time he had said like "mam" or "mama" ah. ever. So like, obviously, she was just blown away by this. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so stuff like that, like that's you know stuff you would expect from a newborn, possibly before one year old or then around one to eighteen months kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't want to be scaring people out there if their kid isn't doing that yet. I could have got <laughs> my ages wrong, like, but yeah, yeah, of course. Um, to go kind of four years and for Naomi not to hear it, and then it to happen when we were away and all this like she that just like blew her away and that was you know like just massive pride and stuff like that because we know the effort we've put in to kind of help him along and the effort he's put in to kind of work on it like and um that kind of stuff just kind of really trying to be grateful for that kind of stuff rather than going oh poor me isn't it so tough and hard and you know focusing on the on the not negative things aspects but you know what I mean focusing yeah, on the like, you know if you start focusing on all the negative stuff like you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning do you know what I mean so of course. you know there's, it could be an awful lot worse definitely could be an awful lot worse well I think it, it would have been an awful lot worse if not only had you not caught it as soon as you had but because there's there's catching something like that or noticing something like that and then there's taking action and they don't always happen at the same time yeah like and it, it can be scary We like we you end out now kind of I don't want to say in groups but you meet people obviously through similar circumstances and courses and stuff like that of course you do kind of look at some people and kind of go I think you might be a little bit in denial that you know this is just going to correct itself you just need to get stuck into it and get them help and you know keep pushing them in the right direction and hopefully some of it sticks like we've done loads of stuff with Oscar like speech and language therapy courses so we kind of understood and there's some good services out there and good help. Like, um, I definitely like to see more. Uh, definitely think that's something that could be done and better services provided for kids that like really need help. Like, um, and we're lucky enough. We've we've um, brought them for private private speech and language therapy. Um, we love to bring them to more, but it's not it's not cheap. But um, there's definitely families out there that like aren't as lucky as we are. Like, and haven't been able to do stuff like that for their own kids but definitely trying to get help and get help as early as you can makes such a difference like and just before I forget because I, I want I would have asked you or I, I'd like to think I will ask you before the end but on the off chance that I forget can you name any of the organizations that you found particularly helpful that you would recommend other people check out if they've got concerns or if they have a kid with autism or, or anything like that does anyone jump to mind uh, we kind of ended out in going in through kind of enable Ireland through our public health nurse I think okay. that's kind of the route you know your your two year checkups and your three year checkups that most kids go for and ninety nine percent of them fly with passing colours but Oscar's two year checkup was where it really kind of that was kind of the day it hit home to me anyway that 
we could be facing into something that wasn't just, uh, you know, day- Tip- typical, say, yeah, daydream lifestyle of how this is going to turn out over the next how many however many number of years. But um, we've got kind of good help. Um, not really going to name anybody. No, that's probably a sad reflection that I can't like. Individuals, we got massive help from some individuals. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, working for organisations, and some of them are fucking brilliant. Like, um, uh, unlikely that some of them will hear this, maybe. But uh, yeah, like some people, and they've just bent over backwards to help us out. Like, really, kind of gone above and beyond the call of duty to to give us help. Like, and and just in their job, like just doing their job and doing it properly and being brilliant at it. Yeah. Um. Other people then you would you'd like to see a little bit more enthusiasm from them and uh, I don't want to kinda of get in my soapbox about it like but um when it's, when it's your kid and it's your kid's oh, future, you know, yeah, yeah. second best doesn't really cut it like No, no. And like um you know me and you, well, you know, you wouldn't know me too well, but Naomi's not one for settling for second best anyway. Um and I like to think I'm similar, but um it's uh it's definitely been massive for us to have the two of us around going to appointments and kind of challenging people. Do you know, um, that can't be done or this can't be done or, oh, I can't get, hang on, what what do you mean you can't? Like, do you know, and just sometimes yeah. just asking that question and kind Being of pushing people. Fight. Yeah, and it is like, and somebody said that to me at the start and I was like, I'm not really a fighter. Do you know, I'm not, that's not... I'm, cool calm and collected kind of type of sit back and take in the information and process that you know want to make a decision but and if you and if you suffer for not being a fighter so be it but when it's someone else I yeah suppose. but it's it's actually it's just that phrase you like you uh you're well able to stand up for yourself like in questionings and like being an air traffic controller you don't you're not fighting with people like and that's probably where you know i kind of got ter- like kind of caught up in the term fighting you know like if i see something going wrong at work can kind of sit back and go, oh, somebody else might sort it out. You you question people and you challenge people. Yes. Um, there's a phrase in work, challenge and intervention, like, um, and that's that's a big thing that's pushed this to kind of just question, are you sure you know what you're doing here? And no, actually, you don't know what you're doing and this is what you should be doing. Like, and um, like it doesn't have to be a fight as such. Yes, yes. But uh, definitely kind of not just accepting an answer you're getting and, and, and kind of keep asking a question and keep, phoning people and like it can be it can be hard work ringing and yeah Mary says she'll ring you back when she gets the chance and you know three or four days later she hasn't rang back and I'm just using Mary as an example just course, in case yeah. anybody <laughs> out there thinks I'm calling somebody out on on uh, on this but uh, yeah you just have to like almost and I'm I'm terrible I can be kind of um I can kind of let things go. I'll sort it out tomorrow. Some stuff like yeah. personally, um. But you just kind of got to a stage where I was just putting a reminder in my phone, ring them today. No answer. Send reminder for two days time. Ring such and such. Right. I'll ring them again. Got the same. I'll ring back two days later. Set a reminder. Ring again. And just and eventually you get you do get through. Like do you know, uh, that can be frustrating, but when you start getting results and seeing results of what you're kind of getting out of it, like it's, it's definitely worth it, but it's frustrating that it has to be like that. Like, and, um, one thing that frustrates me and like, like I admire what you're doing here and you're kind of putting yourself out there and it's something like, I'd love to 
do something because there's definitely like there's so many autism charities like but and I don't know we like maybe that's back on us we haven't kind of gone and talked to any of them really you get information but like the information on the websites like it's it's just information that's fine it's good and some people need that but I definitely feel like there's kind of an opening for um you got an autism diagnosis today ring me tomorrow and I will start pointing you in the right direction and the stuff you need to get done and the stuff you need to do and just keep ticking off these boxes and you will start getting places like and it's just like um it's kind of nearly two years ago or less than two years ago like we were looking at at the time I was working in Shannon like and Naomi's up here she was working in Tala um, two kids were Navin so like again lucky with work we work a five and three roster so I do five days on and I'm three days off right so then you can take a day's leave or whatever or do a swap with somebody and I get that. four days off straight say yeah exactly or if you take five days off you end up with you end up with like 11 days off yes yeah so like our job is great for that kind of stuff um so like we were kind of managing i was going down sharing a room with a couple of lads in a house and um, working coming back up three days off around all the time with the kids it's great and then a couple of days off here and there stretch that out but like she was under pressure like real real pressure like so she's trying to keep her work going trying to keep house going trying to look after kids facing into prospect of oscar was kind of two and a half so we we're really starting to get answers that okay, this looks like you might be facing into kind of an autism diagnosis. I'm not qualified to give it to you. Do you know, these kind of conversations. So yeah. we kind of had a look and I was like, I could definitely, like, I do remember sitting down one night and uh, kind of chatting and uh, saying like, look, at, like you did talk about you wanted to take um, kind of a career break when the kids are young. Like this time next year, Oscar's going to be going to school. Two years later, Robin's going to be going to school. Maybe now this is just the time that we bite the bullet. Maybe give up work. Maybe do something different, and we just focus this time into him because it's just time we won't get back. Like, and yeah, we kinda, I think. Am I right in saying that the time you put in now, you kind of get back in spades? There's no the, the sooner the better, basically. Yeah, apparently. Well, look, look, where the the way he's come on in the last eighteen months, like we're both delighted we made that decision. Brilliant. Um, if he was struggling in two or three years time you'd just be kicking yourself for maybe that would have made a difference yes and maybe it wouldn't but you would still have the question mark and go fuck it maybe we should have done that and that's you know it's too late then like of course um but her work were great to her uh like she had a letter drafted up she was just going in handing in her notice and we were gonna kind of figure it out from there yeah, yeah. um her work were great they told her asked her why was she doing it she kind of gave them a bit of feedback they said well look at maybe talk to somebody and get a diagnosis and if you've got a diagnosis we do offer a two-year carer's leave okay so if the worst that we feared was going to happen and oscar was autistic they would then allow her to take two years off keep her job open and we would have two years to kind of go this is a window we plow time into him and let's see where it takes us yeah um, but just that opened up a kind of a door then of um, like she could apply for carers uh, allowance 
Okay. So she'd get a few pounds while she was being off as well, which is ease kind of the burden and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's other stuff then that is available, but it's only when you talk to people who have done it, you realise this, it can be hard to kind of cipher through you know somebody puts together a website and there's just so much yeah you've got the internet to 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 go through yeah and try and pick out the bits you need out of it and it can just be so hard like and just through work i heard a different stuff that we could apply for and qualify for and there is kind of help out there some of it is just financial um there are kind of organizations in able ireland um is kind of a well-known one that helping kids and stuff like that then in our area it's um cash i think it's kind of an amalgamation of enable ireland and similar area uh, similar organizations that were in the area and they kind of went why are we all trying to do this let's do it together under one umbrella so claire early intervention services right so that that's where he would get um a lot of his kind of occupational therapy, speech and language therapy help as such. And there are the, there's other kind of experts, behavioural experts and um, psychologists and different stuff available to you. And um, some of that then is just information for us or learning for us. But yeah, there's, there is a lot of stuff available, but it's, it's knowing where to kind of look for it or what avenue to go down and find it like. And is there... And I, I don't mean to, to prod or poke fucking too go much. For it. Like, no, but no, go for it. Is there is there a medication? Is it is it treatable in no. in a medical sense? So it's a neurological development disorder. I think. Okay, so something basically goes wrong when the brain is being cooked. Not to dumb it down too much, but I think yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not going to try and sit here and be an expert, but. I'm going to go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is the beauty. We, we kind of touched on But I think part of it is that that understanding isn't fully out there either. Like it's, I know what you mean. It's yeah, kind yeah. of a new, don't want to say concept, but it's only been learned about constantly and why it's happening, what causes it, no real known causes. Like there's people say um, inoculations and, you know, this kind of stuff, but I don't think there's any proof out there for any of that. Um, but there's no scientifically proven known cause as to why Oscar is the way he is. Okay, and I just want to mention something that we kind of touched on before the recording. You kind of stressed that you didn't want to come on as a, you know, a, a spokesperson for, no, for no. autism or, or any kind of yeah. an expert. And what I said back to you was, I would li- like, to, and if anybody who's listening here either is an expert or knows of an expert, I'd love to get John and, and, and talk to you about the, about the condition. But the beauty of having someone like yourself on is... You're kind of you're you're not fumbling around in the dark. That sounds like a derogatory way to put it. No, you are a lot of the time. You are like a lot of the time. You are, and you're um, and in the dark you find something and you throw it and it doesn't work and you find something else and throw it and it does work and you know um, and like to kind of continue that analogy, you know there's a light switch in the corner and you're throwing stuff at it, trying to turn it on. Yeah, and you're firing stuff. And sometimes it comes on and sometimes it doesn't or, you know, like that's kind of a bit of a mad analogy. But it's even worse because um, we try six months of speech and language therapy and then we get a word. Was that the six months of speech and language therapy that worked or was it us doing something at home or was it the course that we did the six months before? That or, ju- we've been... or just the passing of time? Or, or just, yeah, he's just, it's just clicked and he's yeah. figured out why are these people always annoying me? If they just leave me alone, I'd figure this out myself. Like, do you know what I mean? And um, 
Like, like that's not to kind of talk down any of the advice we got. Like, and and some of that has made a massive difference. Like, and it's such basic stuff. Like, getting down on his level. Like, so if you are talk like, and it, it's terrible as you know, an old school thing and talk down to kids. Like, but. Like, if you get down on his level, he'd be more engaged with you. So if you go down in your hunkers, like... And yeah, literally contact, down on the ground, like... He will be an awful lot more engaged with you, yeah. And just those simple things... Little things, ...in yeah. the early days made such a difference. Like, if he wants um, something off you, an apple, you hold it up to, like, beside your eyes or on top of your head. So he has to look at you and make... And you try and move it that he makes eye contact. Right. And, like, literally the early days were... I know you want an apple. I 110% know you're hungry and you want that apple. But you need to tell me you want it. Yes. So I understand. Yes. And like at the start, if I just got eye contact, well done, buddy. There's your apple. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. And it it was just, I don't want to say painful, but it was that tiny level of hard work of just constant repetition, 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 and like it's frustrating because you, you want to like as parents you want to give your kids the best you can give them look after them provide for them open up opportunities let them go and make the best they can of their life and you know he wants the apple but you can't give it to him until he gives you what you need like. yeah of course and that there's a certain strength needed to, to do that Maybe strength. I wouldn't like. I wouldn't talk myself up like that. But yeah, no, but I, no, it, yeah. It's it's just like belligerence, like just and like it, and like to be honest, it can then turn into a tantrum. Like you just, you know, you're like, I just need you to make eye contact, and he's like, I just fucking want the apple. <laughs> just give me the apple, and this will all be fine. Yeah. Um. But um. Yeah. Like and and that kind of stuff. That like that's hard. Like and it can. It can wear you down, like, do you know, and like, um, just when you're unable to, your missus mentioned earlier on, like, when they're crying and you don't know what's wrong with them. Yes. But Oscar's four and he has no words. And when he gets, like, into, uh, gets upset, it's that, you know, like, not hysterical. He, he's pretty chilled out, like, but um, when he's inconsolable and you have uh, no idea what caused that. Yeah. And you were just grasping at straws. But, like, for most parents, that might last six or eight or ten months, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's longer for some people, but our four-year-old is still in that position where he can't tell us that, you know, I'm just fucking hungry. Will you feed me? Like, yeah, do you yeah. know, whereas Robin's coming over going, I just uh, I just want a cracker. Yeah. It's a great phrase we have now at the minute. So Robin is great. If she puts the word just in front of any request, it's it's the simplest thing in the world. Yeah, I just want a million quid. I just want to go on holidays. And it's like, <laughs> sure, let's go. Yeah. Do you know, and it could be, I just want a cracker. I just want the telly, but I just want to drive across the country and see my nana. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Do you know, so um, it's that kind of stuff that, that like, it's hard. Like, do you know, and there's no two ways about it. Like, that's hard. No, of course, no, Jesus Christ, I don't doubt you for a second. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, part of me would be shocked if this doesn't exist, but another equally sized part of me wouldn't be shocked at all, but that there wouldn't be a, a support group of, you know, I don't know, an organisation, just plucking a name out of the sky here, um, par- parents, 
of kids with autism. Uh, we actually have got in with, and it doesn't, I don't know, maybe sort of nationally there is. Um, Naomi's got involved in kind of a couple of Facebook groups. Right. And she's kind of got good information out of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I can't think of one of them. I know there's one of them, uh, Domiciliary Care or DCA Warriors or something that's called. Well, what I might do is I'll get you, if you think of them, you know, today or tomorrow, send them on yeah. to me and I'll put them in the in the Pre- notes. Pretty so sure anybody... it's DCA, so Domiciliary Care Allowance Warriors. And right. um, they do actually kind of, um, which is good. I like her. I kind of like this. They vetted her at the start as such. So she had to request to join the group and then they kind of quizzed her, you know, not kind of grill her, but... They, they did their due they, diligence, sir. Yeah, they wanted to make sure she was going in for the right reasons, I suppose. Um, yes. So asked about him and uh, like what was going on and where were we? And she kind of answered and they went, okay, yeah, you know what you're talking about. Come on in. Um, and she got great information on that. But that's just um, just a group of mothers. A private thing. Private thing. And they're just using Facebook group to just share information and... Some of those kind of things have been the best source, and parents have been the best source of information. The best source of information. And there is no kind of government thing, is there, or is there? Or there may well be, but you just get lost in the the internet of search autism and try and find what you're looking for. Yeah, and departments here. And I there haven't. And we haven't been approached by anybody. I don't know if it's the kind of thing where people approach you, but you know, we we haven't like. There is information out there, but uh, like, uh, what's the right way of saying this? Like, we've been involved. Cash have been good in terms of providing some services for them. Um, I'm not gonna blow smoke. I think they could have been better. I don't want to criticize them because they're helping kids and and people in need. Of course. But I'm not gonna say here and say they're perfect either because yes. you know they're not and they're firefighting. Like to be fair to them, do you yeah. know, um, because kids are being diagnosed and they all need help and they all need support and everybody's kid is the most important kid in the world but there's only so many of them they only have so much funding and they only have so much help and you know that that's something that kind of frustrates me like some of the crap that's going on in the country with banks and funding them and austerity and all the rest of it yeah. yeah and you know now I'm in this situation I see how it could help kids with autism and that's my personal kind of bubble and that's what I'm aware of but like there's so many other things going on in the country that could do with so much help the homeless situation is just getting chronic in this country like and that's like that something that I can think about this on the way out in the car just like I've started to care about these kind of things a lot more in the last while I don't know whether it's parenthood getting that bit older or you know just kind of appreciating maybe how good like we have a I have a that there's so many people in such worse situations like and and should be getting help and it's not really there like yeah well I think I think conversations like this help um, and this this medium the whole podcast medium not not my platform but just podcasting in general, in general yeah. having having conversations but with, with normal people because when when you have a spokesperson for autism or whoever yeah. or, or for mental health or emotional well-being or whatever it is they're 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 a step or two kind of removed from normality a little and they, it seems I don't know they're, they're kind of up on a pedestal or something they get lost I'd say in the lost in the tree you can't see the wood for the trees like do you know they're yeah, just yeah. do you know finances and number of patients and number of people treated and do you know they're looking at kind of the KPIs and stuff do you know yes yes and you're like fuck that just help people like, do you know what I mean yeah yeah um, 
Now, not to kind of do them a disservice, but you know, the likes of a politician, there's an angle for them coming out and speaking on something. Like I'd like, I'd obviously love to see more help. I have an angle. It's it's Oscar. Do you know what I mean? But it's yes. not. This is just kind of a conversation about kind of the state of what's going on at the minute, and um, I definitely think that's a great thing to have happen, um, and great to kind of get that uh that side of what's going on at the minute out and to, to just just people to kind of open up their eyes and see what's going around and you know we can all get locked into the the bubble of jeez my tax bill is very high and this is of very course, high yeah and, i didn't get promoted this year and whatever, whatever yeah it is, like. what do you mean the tax is going up one percent and stuff like that like then thankfully it started to come down the last little while but you know um like stuff like that it wouldn't take an awful lot of funding I would think to solve or not solve but help massively in a homeless situation or something like that which is nothing that's affected me but it is something that I think is like needs to be addressed at the very least yeah yeah something needs to be done about it like do you know um, I kind of thought not that I chuckled that's the wrong way of saying this but like um, in the snow like a couple of months back Emergency beds was found for every homeless person in Ireland for the couple of nights of the snow. Yeah, of course. Well, hang on. What the hell did those emergency beds turn into the night after the snow? Like, do you know? Like, do you know? Yeah, do you'd have to. You'd have to wonder, wouldn't you? Yeah. So the funding isn't there, the will isn't there, or just people aren't bothered because there's no votes in it. Like, do you know what I mean? So yeah. there, there has to be. If they can be there temporarily, they can be there permanently. Like, it mightn't be a perfect situation, but it's a lot better than sleeping on Grafton Street. Like. Yeah, no, of course. Um, and it like there is some of that going on, like that, kind of frustrates me. But look, can't solve everything, can you? No, no, of course. <laughs> Speaking of not obviously solving anything, but is there advice that you can give people who are around? Like for, hypothetically, if I was to call over to your house next week, and all of a sudden I'm kind of in the same room as as young Oscar, is is there kind of is there do's and don'ts just for? Not even the parents of kids, but just for people generally. Like, are are you frustrated when you bring Oscar out and about, and people react to him maybe, or or don't, or I don't yeah, know. Yeah, people tend not to. He's quite quiet. Like, so like in that instance, we're quite lucky. Um, I'm actually reading an interesting book at the minute. Uh, cornflakes for dinner. Um, can't remember his name. Aiden Comerford, I think, but um. He is the father of two girls with aut- on the spectrum, on the spectrum, um, and just some of the differences between the two girls and how it was easier and harder with one and the other, and kind of just this like, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, we all have this kind of vision of life, and it doesn't doesn't just turn out that way. Um, and quite a funny book, um, but. Um, it's it it's hard. Like, and he talks about sort of social situations where he's really struggled. And uh, one of them I just read it last night. He brought his daughter to Tato Park, and she like loves climbing and cl- has climbed out a window and across a roof. And Jesus, but that's part of the thing. Like kids, some kids with autism. I don't want to tear them all with one brush, but like Oscar has no um kind of self preservation filter. Like he sees right. water, he's gone. Um, if he was playing at the front of your house, the gate was open. Nothing really to stop him just wandering into the road. He just right, doesn't okay. see the danger in that. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Um so she like loved to climb, climbed out windows, all sorts of stuff. Um he tells a passage where 
his wife had gone away for like one of her only nights away and um he sees something dropping at the back window and he's like what the hell is that and then the next thing the phone starts ringing it's his missus but his neighbor living behind him had spotted his little girl opening the upstairs window and sitting out on the ledge fuck the neighbour had rang his missus who had then was out on like a hen party or something rings home where the fuck is my <laughs> as you can imagine the sort of the conversation goes Jesus. and he races upstairs to put her back in off the window ledge but like just she no concept of the danger of that like um, but talked about um, bringing her to Tato Park and tried to go up on some of the climbing platforms so she climbed across one which was just like one person got across and then realised she like didn't like this and just full on tantrum there's no with and Oscar's quite similar there's no negotiating there it's just get me fucking out of here I can't this is not I'm not happy like and it's just full tantrum mode so he's up I don't know a couple of metres harnessed in it's like a one person walkway and he's trying to like tackle this maybe she's five or six at the time kid who's having a tantrum probably trying to wrestle her under one arm safely cross across this platform that you're supposed to climb with a safety harness on do you know because yeah. the potential of falling is quite high and then get her down off the platform while do you know just full on tantrum mode like and I suppose it can be hard I probably now have a, a much better appreciation but looking from the outside you just kind of look over and go just bull child like course, course know, yeah. and that can be the outside perception and he just was like bursting out sweating like and trying to calm her down the stress he was going through and that wasn't working and um yeah like we've we've been quite lucky i haven't kind of had a comment or noticed a comment or anything from anybody when we've been out and about but i do know there's been stages where i've kind of felt jesus this is not easy do you know like in a shopping center like and kids will have a tantrum and like robin will have a tantrum but there you might have some chance of negotiating with robin or if you quit that now or we can go to mcdonald's when we leave here but you know you can't carry on like that or give it up because when I get you home <laughs> <laughs> they'll be held of it yeah yeah but uh, yeah it just that conversation kind of can't be had with Oscar and it can be kind of full tantrum like yeah um, yeah which can be hard to deal with like um, but look like it's 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 I suppose if you see stuff like that going on try and maybe appreciate that it mightn't be just exactly what it looks on the outside like um, because if you ran into like a play center and seen Oscar running around you wouldn't notice Joe there's no wheelchair there's no crutches there's yeah, no, no tubes or you know yeah, whatever yeah, like, yeah 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 so like from the outside he's he's a four-year-old he's like all the other four-year-olds but he struggles with some things a lot more than than other four-year-olds like yeah no of course um I only saw that recently I don't know if you if you if you noticed it or, or heard of it but um I think they did it in was it in Aldi and in Super Value they're having autism friendly autism evenings. Friendly or, evenings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some companies can be great. We uh I don't want to just come on here and badmouth everybody. We had a bad experience with one we paid to go to see Father Christmas. Um and I won't actually name them, that's not fair, but uh with a a crowd and you turn up and you went in and you whatever, but they had a they advertised it as an autism friendly evening. 
And I was like, this would be great. You know, the music would be down low. People would be quite relaxed. It's dim lighting. Chilled out, dim lighting, nothing mental going on. Maybe kind of smaller crowds, so it's whatever. Turned up, got to the car park, opened the door, and the first thing I can hear is a chainsaw. They're cutting down trees on the grounds. And I'm like, you fucking kidding me? And I'm and like, that, that kind of stuff doesn't bother Oscar. So I was like, Do you know, but immediately I'm going, that has just sent some kid berserk and he's going home. Like, and like, it wasn't cheap. Um, It was for the four of us to go in, it was about 80 quid. Like, Jesus, right. So um, we booked it like the night before. So um, that was the first thing. Then got the reception and like Oscar doesn't understand cues. Just... Yeah, queue into a till or something. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were in a, we were in an ice cream parlor in the Ilac, or not the Ilac, Liffey Valley there last week, and he just seen ice cream. Walked straight past everybody in the queue, got to the ice cream, like all the ice cream was on display, hands on the glass, looking at ice cream, pointed at one, that's the one I want. Don't care about <laughs> any of these other people and what they're doing, hanging around my ice cream, but that's yeah, the one yeah, I want, yeah, and yeah. I want it now. Like, So go into this place... Uh, for the Christmas experience and get to the reception. What's your name? You have the name. No. I was like, I've booked it. I got a confirmation email back. Have you got a confirmation number? Yeah. The phones are great. Pull up the email. Yeah, there's a reservation number or whatever. She types it into the computer. Oh, yeah, we have got you, but you're not on the sheet. Anyway, one of these elves will bring you down and you sign in in the next bit to register to see Santa. It's grand. So out past the chainsawing, down to the next <laughs> bit, and there's a queue of people, and I'm like, this is not going well. So anyway, Oscar's kind of getting a bit frustrated, excited, because there's stuff going on, he wants to go for a walk, so I was like, you know, he's like, I'll wait here and queue, you bring him in and see what's on inside. So I go into this little kind of small kind of uh, hut area, it's quite, like, quite big actually, so there's like two bouncing castles in it. And there's kids and parents everywhere. Two bouncing castles full of kids. Kids jumping. The usual noise and screaming. And still, that's not really stuff that bothers Oscar. So he was kind of all right, but he just wanted to go on the trampoline. So the next thing, Naomi gets up. Don't have your name. What's going on? Your one said you had the name. Send back down an elf. Back up with an elf. Here's the name. Blah, blah, blah. All right, grand. So then Naomi's right, come on, we're going, we have to go down here. So I'm trying to pull him off the trampoline and he just wants to stay on the trampoline. And I'm like, no, because we'd booked like a slot. So then you're like wrestling and arguing with him, trying to pull him off the trampoline. And he's like, or, or the bouncing castle. And she's like, sure, I'm quite happy here. What's the, what's the big deal? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, I paid fucking 80 quid to you see Santa. <laughs> he goes to see the big man. Like, um, So anyway, we went out and... Uh, Brought us up to see, no, I can't remember, at some stage then, I ended up just, I'm not like this, and I, I don't like doing it, but I was just getting frustrated, and I was like, you've obviously misplaced our booking here, or something, I was like, my son has autism, and immediately she's like, rabbing the headlights, and just like, you know, you shouldn't be here at all, or like, I'm really starting to figure that out, like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> no shit, you're alive. Yeah, so she was like, oh, you should be up. Such a place. For fuck's sake. Like, Christ of Almighty. So, like, something so simple, like, places put on these, and I'm not trying to, you know, it, it's great the companies are kind of 
taking this appreciation and, and it does can make life so much easier like yeah but if you're going to do it do it fucking right do like. it fucking right and don't, or, or don't do it and don't just call it an autism evening and not make some effort like do yeah. you know what I mean so um, kind of long story short like not to ramble on and keep you know slating this place but um, I think it's great that companies are trying to do this kind of stuff I just hope they kind of go and get the right advice to do it properly and not to just call it an autism evening and, you know... Get a bit of good publicity. Out yeah, turn down the lights and turn down the music and go for it. Like, do you know what yeah. I mean? Because, like I said, that stuff doesn't bother Oscar, but standing in a queue and waiting, that would really bother him. So if we could walk in the door and say, he's not going to wait when we get to the till, and they kind of go, right, well, give us a heads up when you're coming to the till and we'll open one and get you through and get you out. Yes. That would be... So that's what you're after, though. That's yeah, what you pay for. Well, look at, well, yeah, look, like it's, it's, everybody's after that. Nobody wants to hang around at Tills in a shop. But that, if you want to call it an autism evening, for us, that would make a huge difference. Yeah, no, of course. Um, But it was funny then, because um, that evening at the Santa thing, like you get one of these, uh, I felt sorry for him, like chap with an iPad on the way out. And he went, eh, will you fill in the customer service thing for me? I was like, and us, like it started <laughs> pissing rain at this stage, so it some of it was outside and some of it was inside, and like the best crack me and Oscar had was like running back down through the rain, jumping in the puddles. He yeah. loved it; it was great. So when we get back inside to kind of go back out to the car park, and your man is there, and I'm dripping wet, and Oscar's just like dragging my arm because he wants to just keep going and get back outside. And I was like, Do you know what? I I'm gonna stand here and answer. Yes, let's go for it. And I <laughs> like I didn't think course that I'm like quite cool and laid back in that kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, how was your experience between one and five? Five being very good and one being like not very good. I was like one. And he's like, oh, no, I mean one as in not very good. And <laughs> I was like, but again, he's one. U- he's just used to people going, okay, five, 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 yeah, five, four, five, four, four, Grant, yeah, and. Look at like he, I knew stopping. I was like, he's not going to sort out the problem. Do you know, not that there's nothing that can be sorted now anyway. But yeah. um, I did give him feedback. I kind of found that was funny. And uh, got back to the car, and Naomi and Robin had stayed on to do something, and they followed us out. And uh, I was like, the customer service guy, yeah, uh, stop you on the way back out because I was like, she's going to go boat barrels now if he stops <laughs> her. Like, um, but red rag. Yeah, oh, yeah, like just yeah. So, um. No, he was off. She was like, oh, I see. It was a fella there with an iPod, but he was like talking to a manager or something. So I was like, you dodged dodge the bullet. <laughs> but uh, in fairness, we went like we went home that night and we like you do have to do these things now and then. You like and I don't want to be a grumpy old man like, but we sat down and wrote an email and said, like, if you're going to call it an autism. Oh, no, fair play. Do it. And it, like, and it wasn't for us. We did make the point. We paid fucking eight euro, and we didn't stay, and they did refund us. Like, but uh, um, we did make the point. You can't just call it and like this, 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 and this. They're not autism friendly things to be doing. Like, yeah, and yeah. Th- like, and again, I will say, my limited knowledge. I know what will set Oscar off and what won't. Like the chainsaw and stuff like that. It doesn't. But I know there's some kids just that kind of like. There's some kids go around during the day just daily life with ear defenders on yes because they're just so without sensitive without chainsaws yeah 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 just background noise or whatever like um, and like that stuff must be so hard like you know um, but every kid is different like there's no kind of there's no golden rule like but yeah the one thing try try and get on their level and try and actually kind of interact with them as opposed to just 
talking at them. But that's probably good advice for kids anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, 100%. But uh, listen, Don, we've just done over the two-hour mark. I'm going to let you go. Uh, thanks a million for coming on no and filling us in on the weird and wonderful world of aviation oh, look, and, and air traffic control. We barely touched on some of it, I'm sure. But, yeah. oh, but sure, look, it'll give people a window into it, just yeah, a world absolutely. that they, they have no idea even exists. And thank you a second time for, I suppose, being so open about chatting about Oscar and his difficulties and the difficulties that you've had as a parent and that, because conversations like this, I think, go a long way to helping people understand you know, the condition and what it's like for the child as well as for the parents. So yeah. for that, you know, thanks no, again. It's really important. Like, and I'm, I'm, thanks a million for having me on. It's been, it's been good fun. No, good stuff. Listen, thank you, brother. All the best.